All right, what is cooking? Welcome to the show, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. I got a really good buddy by the name of CJ Tassone on today, and we're going to have a good old time. We're talking personal development, business, motivation, everything under the sun that all y'all are interested in. Super excited for y'all to get to know CJ today. So let's go ahead and get started. CJ, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, man. How's your day going, my brother? How you doing? It's going pretty good. Pretty good. I mean, uh, it's been a long day for sure. A lot of good things happening. Um, but overall, pretty good, I'd say. So you were working on a, on a deal today. Yeah. That so I uh, got two deals in the works right now. So what I do is a wholesale real estate. Um, and pretty much uh, got a, a, a few good things in the works. I don't want to kind of spill too much too early, but got a, a couple things in the works. Don't want to kind of shoot myself in the foot, uh, jinx myself, mm-hmm. but got two deals going. So I guess we can warm the waters up a little bit by by telling me a little bit more about your business. Like what is for the for the layman? Yeah. What is wholesaling? Uh, wholesaling is essentially you go out, um, you look for quality properties um, that you can make money on. Whether you're going to flip it, uh, develop it. Um, and your idea is instead of really jumping in uh, head first and taking on a lot of risk, you're actually going to go out, put the property under contract with the intention, I will say, of flipping it. Totally the intention of flipping it. But instead, your profit's going to lie in where you're going to flip the contract of the property. So it's not so much that you're going to be flipping the, the property itself, but there's going to be a little profit margin that's created essentially when you put the property under contract for a, a, a good price, whereas instead of having to put all the work into it and and um, all that additional effort and taking on a lot more risk, you can essentially sell that contract and mark it up. Good yeah, to, yeah, no, exactly. But yeah, you're selling selling paper yeah. almost. You're you're selling yeah. a contract to an investor. Right um, now, you did a little bit of this as well in the did, past, did right? A little bit of it. I, I think I started yeah. when I was like 18 years old. Right. I wish I got in then. Yeah, it was uh, kind of at the beginning of wholesaling. Right. Um, and we were getting into the market super early, so we had a lot of opportunity, especially in Greenville, man. Greenville was up and coming, still is up and coming, but it was kind of at the cusp of, of like really turning into a big uh, real estate producing city. Um, right. So every time I go back now, man, it's like new developments here and there. Um, and the guy I worked with, Michael Fernandez, uh, he taught me a lot, my brother. Taught me a lot. So I, I looked up to him. Right. And, um, and, and he taught me how to find the ideal house. Right. And, uh, and if you can walk me through what your ideal your ideal deal is, right? Like yep. if, you're, if you're out looking, you're driving down the street, uh, what are the houses that catch your eye? So I'll kind of want to back up a little bit from there. Yeah, sure. I still look at it from my ideal deal is going to be on a uh, – I, I look at it as who's going to be my end buyer, mm. right? So – I underwrite all the, all my deals in a few different ways. I look at it as, all right, am I going to sell this deal to a developer? All right, am I going to sell it to somebody that's a flipper? Am I going to sell it to somebody that's a long-term, is going to hold it for a long period of time, um, and they're going to run it out over the course of 15, 20 years? Um, am I going to sell it to somebody that's not going to flip it, but going to turn it into an Airbnb property? Um, and so what I look for, quite honestly, and uh, a lot of people won't, come out and say this i look for the deal that's gonna make the most sense to my end buyer and that's gonna ultimately get me paid the most that's right right so you're, like, you're starting at the end working right back up to exactly what you want. like i'm not gonna sit there and and uh look for properties that aren't gonna aren't gonna suit my end buyer well so to kind of uh move forward a little bit and unpack that question is 
a lot of the things that I look for in a property value add, right? So I don't want to buy something that's, you know, they just put $20,000 worth of light fixtures in the property. They just put a brand new roof on, uh, really just redid the entire kitchen. I don't look for that in a property. I look for a property that could use that. So it's a, it's a, believe it or not, there are a lot more of those out there than you would think because, yeah. I mean, people haven't updated their homes in 20, 30 years. When, when I was doing it, we were looking for the houses that had the boarded up windows, right? had had the orange sign out front, right. um, had the overgrown grass, yep. like all of the telltale yep. signs of distress. And so right. it's kind of, you know, distressed properties is kind of what we were looking for. Right. Um, and of course, it has to make sense to your to your end buyer. So you're probably looking at like location. Right. Um, you're looking at uh, the value add potential. What, yep. other, what other factors are you looking at? So first I start with market, right? And so... What I've come to find is that I don't believe Charleston's that good of a market right now whatsoever. I think that there's a lot more appetite for cash buyers, as we call them, in more up-and-coming places. So the reason why I don't think Charleston's that great of a market right now is the margins are just way, way, way too tight. I mean, there's no room for me as a wholesaler in a deal to then have a cash buyer make sense of it whatsoever so a couple places that i'm working on putting deals together right now believe it or not ohio uh north carolina is pretty huge and then i've done a couple deals in florida right now but the biggest thing i'll say is fighting off the competition you know everybody knows where the hot markets are it's just kind of working your way in there can you get a better angle than the guy that's trying to eat your lunch right do you offer more to the one the seller of the property can you do a better job for the seller, put them in a better position, and then can you do a better job for the cash buyer? If you can't do both of those things, you are going to get run through, right? And you won't stand a chance compared to some of these guys. You've got to also have the communication skills right. when you're reaching out to people. Make the good first yeah. impression. And, and I'll say this. For somebody that's um, – I'll still say starting out. I mean it's not like I've done 100, 100 deals at this point. For somebody that's starting out, the most important thing that I found is if you have a lot of confidence, people think that you've done 100 deals. Mm -hmm. So every conversation that I have, I'm talking as if I own a $50 million hedge fund that you know I'm looking to buy properties. And that's not what I say. I'm very honest about what, what my ideas are, right? You know, We're looking at putting this property under contract, uh, potentially buying it. But if they get the impression that you're somebody that's very professional – I mean, you've already sold them. Because, Confidence is key. Dude, the biggest thing I find is that wholesaling is a low-hanging fruit for a lot of people, right? You see it on a lot of social media sites, and you see like every every guru, as I'll call it, on the planet saying, you know, you can make twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 a month wholesaling. And what it does is it invites a lot of lazy people because they say, oh, all I have to do is... Uh, call people on Zillow, put a property under contract, and then I can make $20,000 doing it. So it's going to invite a lot of people that lack work ethic. And what, in turn, that invites, or I guess exposes the opportunity to, are people that are willing to bust their ass and really work for what they're trying to earn, mm -hmm. right? Because you are now competing in a marketplace that is flooded with people but not flooded with the best competitors. I mean, uh, uh, do you see a lot of bandit signs driving around Charleston? All the time. Do you ever call any of them? Mm -mm. 
So I'll, I I have a bad habit. Yeah, I bet you yeah. have a great time. Oh, this. dude, I have a bad habit of, of I'll call every band at sign I see. And I'll just kind of have conversations with them. Um, and half of the guys I talk to are, I, I, let me take that back. 99% of the guys that I talk to are total amateurs. Now, you'll get, uh, I'll say that 1% of the people that I call, and I actually know who owns that business and i'll be like oh damn i'm calling their guys kind of messing with them but dude half the time you you call the other person on on the other side of the phone is going to sit there and they're gonna be like yeah man uh yeah tell me the property and i'm like sound a little bit more excited yeah about right. it, i mean yeah hey uh i'm trying to sell my property pal like you know give me the time of day here isn't this your job yeah right but that's the whole idea is that people the the to to really get into it, these are it attracts a lot of people that think it is just an easy payday, which I found out the hard way. It is certainly not an easy payday. It can pay a lot. You can make a lot of money doing it, but it's going to be the most stressful shit you've ever done in your life. I swear by it. I've done, I, I mean, there have been many cases in my life where I made $10,000 on a single transaction that's not wholesale related. That was in my other career that were so much easier didn't cause me nearly as much stress because there were really only one outcome it was that they were going to do it and i was going to make 10 grand doing it and what i was doing was extremely beneficial to them whereas in what i'm doing right now hell i can have five thousand bucks on the line just to make ten thousand they could opt for something else i could get screwed out of my five thousand and now i just lost five grand on the opportunity to make 10. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot more, um, I'll say there's a lot more risk than a average job. Now, when you're looking at making that kind of money on a, on a daily basis, I'll say that there's less risk involved than other positions that you could be in. Like, let's say if you were trading a lot of money, um, you're going to be staking thousands of dollars just to make that equal share. Right. So do you follow, do you see what I'm where I'm going with that is like the the risk reward is a lot higher in what I'm doing versus uh I I guess versus trading or um doing something that you're going to have to stake a lot of money cuz really you don't have to stake that much in wholesaling I'll say. It's usually escrow. What yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's a small small amount for yeah. what you could potentially make. Right. Um so what would you say, like, the biggest uh, – when you call somebody right. off of a bandit sign, are you able to pick up, like, immediately that that person's an amateur? Dude, I can – I could look down my street and see two or three of those right. signs. I would have no problem calling right now and being right. like, what's up? I would guarantee you they – it would be so bad that you wouldn't believe it. Okay. You would be sitting here and you'd be like, damn, I got to jump back into the market here because these guys suck. And I hate saying it like that, like bashing on somebody else. But the reality of the situation is, if you're trying to be, if you're trying to make money, you damn better be good at what you're doing. And two, you better take it serious, man. Like, it makes no sense to me that that one, you'd spend money and time driving around, potentially catching thousands of dollars worth of fines, to then every time that you get a potential lead, you just treat it like it's nothing. Just an average I mean, phone call. Yeah, you can't you can't do it like that. Yeah, and you see, I mean, if you drive down. Most people, uh, I, I guess I'll say this much. That's why bandit signs get a bad name. 
So what would you say your the majority of your like outreach is in order to get right. get leads or get potential uh, get potential properties? Um, what, what are you doing to to find those things? So I've gotten it's a little bit more difficult for me because I've gotten a deal in every marketing avenue that I've taken so far. So, um, and thing called probate, I've gotten a deal through probate. I've gotten a deal through reverse driving for dollars. Um, reverse driving for dollars is if you've ever heard the term driving for dollars, it's essentially you drive around, you look for a distressed property, you market, then you call, you do some type of marketing outreach to them. Reverse driving for dollars is you drive around, you look for a property. And instead of being timid and scared and going home and thinking that you're going to do the outreach that way. You get your happy ass out of the car and you go knock or you leave a, a, a note at the door and they call you because it saves you a lot of money when you're trying to reach out to them because you, people don't understand when people get into real estate and think that, you know, I can just go and find houses and then call the people. Where the hell are you getting the phone numbers? You got to you know, skip trace you the gotta, phone you numbers. You got to go through a lot of steps. To you find know, them. yeah, you don't just get the, the phone numbers for free or see so you when you see on social media that people say, you know, wholesaling is so easy, they kind of leave out the fact that, you know, you have to do a lot of detective work in order to kind of piece deals together. You are an investigator. Yeah. The whole oh, my God, dude. You got to, like, go through all of right. the, the, the qualifying factors yeah. of it, does this house have exactly what I need? No. Got to learn maybe a little bit about the person you're about to call so you can have some things to chop it up about with. So there's a lot of investigating and wholesaling, and I think that's what's appealing for guys like right. you know, like who are analytical like yourself. You know, right. you like diving into that kind of stuff. Uh huh. Now I, I would say there's it takes a lot of time, but when you can sit there and you you feel good about accomplishing something that was a little bit harder and uh, maybe it was a a barrier to somebody else and you can overcome that because you'll go the extra mile and do that little extra piece of research. I mean, there nothing feels better than when you're trying to sell a deal, for example, and you're trying to find an end buyer and the LLC of the company that you're essentially trying to sell it to is hell. You cannot track that thing without five hours worth of research. Like you have to go through four different cover LLCs that they're just piecing things through. And then finally you strike the website that, is the uh, I guess the holding LLC, and then finally you can call the the acquisitions guy at the office and strike a deal that way. That is the most rewarding feeling. Um, now, unfortunately, I have haven't had the luxury of having that successfully happen yet. I now I found a couple of uh, acquisitions guys that way. Nobody's bit yet, but uh, man, it when when you can reverse engineer and kind of find things out the the hard way, it does feel a little bit better. I will say. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and to go back to like your, your end buyer a little bit. Right. Um, I know that you said you have a massive list. Right. That you mass email blast. Right. All of your, your deals out to. Right. Yeah. Um, does that have a lot of potential? A lot, a lot of good, a lot, a lot of good effect. Is that how you sell all your deals or is it mostly like do you so, have different avenues? There's a couple of different ways that I sell deals. Um, one is going to be, I'll say the easiest one is through JVing. I don't necessarily recommend that, and I'll get into it in a second. Um, the next way I would say is just doing exactly as you kind of mentioned, that cold outreach through email. That's going to be the easiest to kind of do once you have the frameworks built. 
until you have those frameworks built, it's gonna you're gonna think, oh my god, I'm gonna sit there, I'm gonna type a hundred emails out a day and send those individually. That's what most people think. I mean, there are ways to do email blasts effectively. There are ways to gather thousands upon thousands of emails effectively. Um, that I mean, most people have no idea about, like no, 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 no clue about. But um, I would say most people when they're starting out. They'll do those. They'll do one of three things. They'll either go on Facebook and make a couple of Facebook posts, and they'll call it a day. I mean, that's probably what most people do. Um, and be like, oh, you know, my job's done here. If I don't sell it, I didn't get the deal done. You know, it is what it is. I'll start over. Um, and then the next way is going to be finding somebody in the in the area that is a wholesaler like yourself or does deals like like yourself and you partner up with them and then they have that outreach that you didn't have and they might be able to connect you with people and you'll pay them a portion i'm not a fan of that and i have to say and people uh, i've had a lot of people that are more successful than me kind of uh sit there and say you know your time's better spent elsewhere more on the acquisition side you should partner up with people and let let the experts be the experts if they're going to be the experts at dispo the one thing I will say is that I find that in this business, and I'm sure it's like this in every business, is that you're often better than you think, and people that are acting as if they're better than than they or people are often be acting better than they really are, yeah. and so you'll find yourself into a lot of find yourself in a lot of situations where you think somebody's the man, and then you find out very quickly that damn. I actually know more than this guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it sucks. It usually, I mean, usually hits you in the most like uh, uh, the craziest moments too. You know. Yeah. Like, it, I mean, it's tough that way. Mm -hmm. It really is. I mean, the the fortunate thing for me is, you know, I've had a lot of shitty things happen before, um, but I've had some people really help me out. And I'll give a, a shout out to one guy that's kind of been very helpful to me, um, Ford Bradford. He's somebody that's been very helpful to me when I really needed it. Um, so when I left, when I took a leave of absence from my career, I was still employed and I just kind of wasn't doing shit at the time. Like I, I was totally checked out mentally um, and I was starting the wholesaling space. I reached out to this guy, uh, Ford. Um, he was doing wholesaling. You know, I understood he was really busy at the time. We couldn't really connect at, at that point. But I, I'm a guy that likes to hustle, right? So he didn't have the time at the he didn't have time for me then, uh, understandably, because, you know, I was probably going to, it was a busy time where people were making a lot of money doing a lot of deals then. Uh, so I go on YouTube, spend a lot of time researching, spend a lot of time reading, uh, watch a ton of YouTube videos. That's you ever watch any uh, Brent Daniels, TTV, no. talk uh -huh. to people? He has no. a pretty cool channel, man. Uh, okay. A lot about cold calling and things like that, but I, I won't no, no. too much. I, ha I much. haven't heard of him, but... I'm a big YouTube guy. That's like where I learn everything. Yeah, me my, too. my girlfriend calls me an iPad kid. YouTube University is definitely a thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. My, my girlfriend literally calls me an iPad kid because I will sit there at, at lunch. I'll sit there, prop my phone up, and I will watch a, a fucking podcast. I'm on YouTube probably 12 hours out of the day. Right, Not yeah. even kidding, dude. I, I watch so much YouTube. Yeah. I love it. It's helpful. I mean, that's really what propelled me to do my first deal. So, uh, I was learning as much as I could via YouTube, and it really took me to the point where I went out, figured out how to get my first deal, happened to be a bandit sign, got all the way through the steps, and then I uh, 
kind of, I'll say I reached a stalemate in a way where the deal was just not going anywhere. I was getting extremely frustrated. And then uh, my buddy Ford kind of was a lifeline to me. He, he, he helped me out in that, like, dra- it was a dire need situation where I was sitting there. I'll, I'll never forget this. I was up in my up in my bedroom, and I was sitting there. I threw my phone on the bed, and I was like, in my head, I sit there, and I go, fuck this. I'm about to just cancel this shit. And I text him. I say, hey, man, I'm just going to cancel this contract. I'm just done with it. The seller sucks. He's just not being, he's not communicating with me at all. And he, he texts me, says, listen, man, you're this far. Do not give up. And that was literally the only thing I really needed other than he helped me. He, he helped me kind of uh, bridge some communication with the seller. But that little kind of one little tidbit of motivation made me go, you know what, man, I'm, I'm this far in. Why am I just going to give it up right then and there? I mean, when I say these deals are that stressful, they're that stressful. What's the biggest thing that stresses you out about it? Uh, I, so I was in a, a bad financial space, a financial like yeah. place at the time, like really bad. Now, it, it might sound kind of stupid to some people, but the amount of money that I had at the time, I was just really not comfortable having. Like My burn rate for my business, for my financial business, was so high. So I was spending probably about $4,000 a month. I had about $12,000 to my name at the time. And I remember sitting there with my dad, who I worked with, and I said, you know what, Dad? I need to make $10,000 in three months or I'm fucked. Like, or I got to find a new career. I sat there. I was, uh, believe it or not, CFP. Like, you would never believe that CFP was sitting there contemplating uh, leaving that career because he couldn't make ten thousand dollars in three three months i mean it's kind of pathetic when you think about it uh and i sat there and i had that conversation with them that hey i need to do this in three months if i can't do it i have to find another career because all my buddies are i mean you work a desk job and you make ten thousand dollars in three months i mean that was that 40 grand a year that's like nothing and so i had that conversation with him and i i really went all in on wholesaling like all in, I essentially checked out of my other job, spent all this time, and I'm sitting up in my room thinking, "Holy shit!" I put a I put a little bit up on earnest money, so I had some something to lose in this deal. Definitely something to lose. I had about four thousand dollars checked in on this deal, and I was like, "If I lose this four grand, not only am I not going to make ten thousand dollars in these three months, but I'm going to have a setback of." four grand and I'm going to be royally fucked at this point and God willing that deal happened and uh, a couple more things happened in between them but I, I'll never forget the moment where I rolled up to the the uh, closing attorney's office over there in Daniel Allen and I, I, I it gives me chills just thinking about it and I roll up and I'm like there's no way this check's actually going to be there there's just absolutely no way this check's going to be there uh, think again i i was like at a place where i like another month went by and another four thousand dollar burn through my account so i'm sit i'm left with now like four grand in my account at this point and at this point in the process the deal was pretty much gonna go through um it was just like every everything was i wanted it to go smoothly so i roll up to the attorney's office and i'm sitting there with my girlfriend at the time oh still my girlfriend but uh, uh sitting there in my car and I hop out of the car, and I'm like, please, God, this check, just please be there. I go in. She goes, 
the assistant hands me over two checks and I'm like, holy shit, I get in my car. And I'll never forget. I sat there and I was just thanking God for the first time in my life. I, I really sat there and I said, you know, sure. Some of this was me, but I really got to sit there and thank God for this one because I don't think I could have pushed through any other way, but I opened the check. It was a pretty penny. It was, uh, it, it was, uh, I'll say this much. It was over 17,000 bucks. It's a pretty penny. All, all right. I'll, I'll say, I'll say that much. Yeah. So it really changed my life. Like that one moment changed my life and I was able to do a lot for my girlfriend at the time too. So I, I cut her in on that deal to kind of put her in a good position. And I just felt like the man at that point, I was like, Holy shit. We put this whole thing together. I counted myself out. And then got my head back in the game and, and really pushed through. And, and it propelled me to a, a, a place where I felt like I could do anything. So that was the moment. Yo, that, that was, was that the moment. That moment. moment in your life. I, I swear to you, I was sitting in my car and I had to call probably five people. And I was like, you'll never believe it. But I just did this. Cause when was this? This was, I want to say, August, like August 1st. So not, not too long ago. No, really, like, oh, dude, dude, it was like my whole life, I kid you not, changed overnight, I felt like. Because I went from being in a place, uh, in a good place financially, where now I can make intelligent decisions. Where, dude, I'm, I'm selling my car at the, at the height of the market, moving to a um, way much more affordable vehicle that's going to help me in my business. Um, I was just making, like, all the right moves. And, I, like, that really just helped me out so much. To where, I mean, like, so, something as stupid as selling your car, it was just, like, if I had sold my car prior to that, I just wouldn't have had any money to, like, to buy a, a new car. I would have had to pay, pay it off in other ways. It was, like, everything that needed to happen happened exactly the way. And, and I'll go back, and I don't want to uh, be, like, kind of spew my religious beliefs on, onto other people too much, but I remember sitting there in my room, and I uh, was talking to God, and I was like, hey, if this is meant for me, please let it happen. But if it's not meant for me, I'm, I'm okay with it either way. Like, I want to let you know, God, that I believe that you're going to put me in the right decision, that whatever is best for me. Because when I was getting into wholesaling, dude, you get all the haters in the world coming at you. I mean, like, my parents were like, what the fuck are you doing, bro? I mean... Everybody was like, yo, you need to make sure that you're well protected. Like, the market's going to crash. You're screwed. And they all have good intentions, right? It's a little bit of scarcity mindset. Right, though. yeah. But they just, people don't understand. And when, when people don't understand, they kind of try to force these uh, opinions on you that are unnecessary and really are, are unwarranted. I mean, I, I would say that, like, they just don't really... They're not what you want to hear, especially when you're making a shift like that. But I, I remember I'm sitting there and I'm talking to God and I'm like, hey, if this is meant for me, let's do it. If it's not, I will figure a way out. Because as dramatic as that was, I've been very fortunate to where money has been something very easy for me to make. Like I've done a lot of different businesses in my past. And one way or another, I've never been in a position where it's really gotten to the point where I'm like, all right, well, guys, sell all my shit. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, like people look at me. I sold my, I had a beautiful car and I sold that 
making the best financial decision like I possibly could. And it wasn't that I couldn't afford it. And and that always kind of, I don't want to say bruises my ego a little bit. Like, ah, sure, I could have been rolling around in that, that nice car. But I, like, when you start to make a lot of money, you feel a lot more comfortable with your decisions and feel a lot more comfortable with yourself, right? So I felt like for the first time in my life, like I was rolling around in that car because I felt like I needed to. Like, huh, now that I don't need to, I don't want to. You know, have you ever had that feeling? Mm-hmm. Like, there will be a lot of times when uh, you are in a position now where you can make the right move instead of the one that's ego-driven. It, and it takes the pressure off, too, like you said, when you're not bound by these financial uh, requirements. Right. You get, to, you get to take a step back and make the best educated decision right. outside. Obviously, pressure is a good thing. Um, but if you're if you're under like really tight financial pressure, um, you're going to make hasty decisions. Right. And I think, like you said, that that freed you from that. Did you put more money back into your marketing after that, or did? Dude, did you I, the I mean, or what? I'm going this January. I'm going all in. All I, in. I'm, bet, I'm betting. That. I'm betting the farm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk talk about like, that some more. You said like at January, you want to just go balls to the wall with so, marketing. So January, I'm thinking that my burn rate's probably going to be around twenty five thousand a month. Okay. I'm thinking now it's probably going to take a little bit of time to rev up to that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I'm at a point now where I, ha- I like I I don't want to say I'm fearless. Like I make calculated moves, um, but I'm at a point now where you have to think. You don't want to play in in average ballpark your whole life you don't want to you want to start making moves that are going to change the trajectory of your entire life um and especially with the the economic times that are that you know most people believe are coming you want to be totally prepared uh and i'm trying to i'm really trying to change my family generations to come right and so I'm thinking about, and I would say realistically, more realistically, February, because it takes a lot of time to hire people. Um, I'm going to probably be burning about 25000 a month. Is that mostly spent on I mean, employees? So, or, or I, mean, I know you don't really have... No, so I got a couple okay, employees right now. So I got two employees full-time right now. Um, but where that really lo- or what that really looks like is it's about, I would say, six VAs, I think I have it, um, Six v six or seven VAs is gonna run about twenty five thousand because for, for the layman VA yeah uh, uh, well, what is it virtual assistant so um, when when you're getting into a space where you're really trying to j- jack your marketing up you want to start working with VAs those are people that um, really just um, incredible people that uh, you essentially can hire at a at an affordable rate and have them do work extremely well now. The, the one thing I will say about VAs is some people get it all wrong. Like some people just will piss their money away hiring VAs because I'll say this, they're oftentimes Filipino, right? They, uh, I don't want to say they'll, they'll take any kind of work, but when somebody's hiring for three, four dollars an hour, they oftentimes get pretty excited about that. You know, that's a, that's a quality wage. Um, and some people will just hire these seven or eight guys because you know it, it seems good on paper you know I, I can hire seven people that's 28 dollars an hour that's really nothing and they'll just like hands off the wheel hope that everything goes well whether that you can use vas for cold calling really doing anything texting uh doing internal uh, admin work i use them for cold calling at the moment 
but most people will hire them for cold calling and then they'll just go hands off and they'll act like, oh, you know, I'm going to be a millionaire in six months because I have four, five, well, four people calling for me uh, eight hours a day. You know, I'm generating all these leads and, and those VAs will suck because you have to manicure your VAs. You have to literally sit there and uh, teach them exactly what to do. And if you nurture them that way, they will kick ass for you. I have a, a guy right now, and a shout out to you, Riddell, um, who smokes it for me. He probably gets about six to seven leads a day. A day, wow. I mean, that's like, good. and that's just him. Mm-hmm. And I had to fire one of my VAs. I'm hiring another one. Um, but when you find a good one like that, man, they are hard to replace. And so uh, when I was saying, like, all right, I'm going to jack my, my spend to probably $25,000 a month, given everything goes as planned, um, that's going to take a long time because I'm having a hard time replacing one, and I'm going to rev it up to seven. But I, I truly believe that when it comes to training people, that's something I, I'm very skilled at because uh, – not to not to scratch or pat my own back here, but I have a way of helping people understand their dreams. If you can sit there and somebody that's in the Philippines and you can help them realize their dreams and say, "Hey, I care about you. This is what we're helping you work towards," dude. They will people will give you their life to to find somebody that can connect with them and help them actually achieve what they want. And that's what I believe. I have my my guy Riddell. He wants to buy this uh, pretty damn expensive speed bike, and I'm like, "Hey, Riddell, what color is the bike you want, brother?" And he's like, "I want this blue one." I'm like, "All right, how much does it cost? I want you to write it down on a piece of paper." That's what we're working towards here. We're not working uh, for this set wage an hour. We are working for that bike. That's what we're doing. We're working for your family. And when you're able to do kind of convey that to the people that you hire, man, they will be the best assets to your company. And so I'm trying to trying to focus on doing that to scale. And I think I've unlocked the key. That was such a golden nugget, right? Yeah. There. I don't know if you realize the uh, the importance of what you just said, but that's huge. It, it, it most people will look past that. They'll go and they'll hire a, a an agency to go and. Um, outsource the the vas for you or outsource the hires for you and it never works the way that that you think because they're just so disconnected now they one the agency's taking money out of their paycheck if they're already getting three dollars an hour and the agency's taking 150 i mean these guys are getting screwed Mm -hmm. like it, it, you should go be working direct, but people just get kind of too lazy, and I understand. I mean, maybe your time's better spent elsewhere not focusing on the training. This is another nugget. Record your damn trainings. If you record your trainings, I mean, you only have to do it once or twice, and then boom, now you have it logged, and people can – every new hire that you have can go and watch those trainings. I have probably like – 10 gigabytes left on my computer and from i have like a, a thousand or what would you call it terabyte uh, yeah terabyte uh, of storage on on a external hard drive man i kill it because i'm just filming all day i do the little vimeo and download it to my computer and i just haven't backlogged pretty much every conversation that i have so that when i need it when i need to train again it's right there for people to use so I know that you said a little while ago that uh, I asked you about objections, and you're like, right. I'm not an objection guy. You know, I don't, there's there's no objection. Um, when mm-hmm. you're when you're teaching or training these guys uh, to cold call, 
um, are you giving them objections or are you just ha- are you just like teaching them more about the concept of the business, the 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 relationship that you're supposed to build with the consumer? Like, like how do you go about that? So uh, you know Jordan Belfort, right? Yeah. You know Grant Cardone, right? Oh yeah. I think those guys are the masters of objections for, for and especially I'll say uh, Jordan Belfort has a way of uh, illustrating that to where you can like you can see how to work an objection on paper and he calls it looping really all a person's doing when they're objecting to you is trying to get you off of your normal sales pattern they're really just trying to throw you off to like leave me alone eat them just leave me alone bro all right what you need to do is now bring them back to where you want the sale to go or where you want the conversation to go so there's really one way to handle objections. It's all right. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, I totally understand. And then get right back to what you were saying. I mean, let's be honest. And I don't want to say that most people are, are uh, bots, but dude, most people don't even hear what you're saying anyway in an objection and they're just waiting for their turn to talk. And so if you go, yes, you know, I totally understand what you're saying. Anyway, are, are you interested in selling that property? And they're like, I thought I just said uh, maybe, and then they'll move to their next objection, you know? So the whole idea is you're to break it down again. You want to answer their objection and then you just want to make sure that they're not derailing your sale. So it's a game of questions. You want to stay in control. If you're, if the seller, if the seller, as in the the seller of the property in my particular situation, if they're in control of the, of the conversation, you are losing. You will lose. Yeah, you are losing. And that goes for any sales. Mm-hmm. Now, them being in control does not mean it like them talking all the time. Like I feel like uh, people conflate the two, right? As being like controlling the sale and then the other person talking all the time. Mm-hmm. The person that's really controlling the sale is probably not talking very much. Right, they're asking good questions and they're extracting the information that they want out of, out of that conversation. You know what I mean? So let me give you an example right now. Go throw any objection up to me, and I will be stunned if you frazzle me. Okay, so you're 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 calling me? Yeah. So hey, is this the owner of one two three Main Street? This is. Hey, this is Chris. I just had a quick question for you. Are you interested in selling that property? Oh man, I get so many of these calls. I can't. I, I can't take another one. Yeah, no, I totally understand that. Now, are you interested in selling that property? I could potentially be interested in selling the property if the price is right. Yeah. So, I, you see what I did? Yeah. I just kind of like just back. brought it right circle back, back and it sounds so stupid, but I mean, it's bringing you. And that's probably not the best. I'll be honest with you. That's probably not the best way. You I, probably, I see where you're going. Though. Yeah. You're, you're staying. You're not letting yourself be derailed. But if we're being totally honest, that's exactly how I teach my VAs to yeah. do it. Because one, when you're working with VAs, um, another another side note. Oftentimes, they have a very heavy dialect. You want to limit the amount of speaking that they do uh, to, to literally as little as possible. Mm-hmm. So you want them to rotate the same conversation or the, really the same uh, objection handling. Oh, no, I totally get that. Are you interested in selling? Oh, no, no, I totally see what you're saying. Uh, with that being said, are you interested in selling? Oh, yeah, you're looking for the best price? Well, you know... Um, my partner, CJ, he's really better with the numbers. Uh, can I have him give you a call about that? You know, um, some people get it. It pains me to see, and I don't want to give out all my secrets and why why I'm seeing a lot of success where I think a lot of people are having a lot of trouble with their VAs. But, I mean, it really comes – and I can give this nugget away, and nobody will do it. It's mm-hmm. the funniest thing. Uh, 
and that's how a lot of things work. You know, you can you can lead the horse to water, but you can't make them drink. That's right. I think there's a lot of good advice out there. It's just not a lot of people, like you said, utilize right. the knowledge and put it actually take the action behind it. I think that's what a lot of people fall short of, and they're they're scared of is taking the action and getting themselves out there. So right, and you can have your what you need to do is you need to have your VAs not talk very much. You need to have them uh, act with precision, but any time that they get really stumbled. You need to have them defer to you as the professional because, let's be honest, and I understood this very well when I was working in the financial space. If you're cold calling and you're a financial advisor, nobody's going to take you seriously because who the hell is going to do business with a so-called successful money manager if they're cold dialing you, right? So you have to kind of act like you have to have the person that's reaching out act as an assistant. And like, uh, they're the first line of defense. Like, oh no, no, the I you have to paint the picture. Maybe this is not exactly true, and and um, I don't want people kind of using my words against me in any way. But you want to act or have the the person that's making the first outreach act as if they're almost not as important. In other words, you know what I mean? Because hell, you know, I'm just the assistant calling. Yeah, like yeah, like don't come at me. I'm not the 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 professional. That's that's why you want to, to paint the picture in their head that some dude is having his assistant call you. Because what does that paint in their mind? All right, this guy's serious business. You know, he's uh, he's got to be successful. Somebody else is calling on his behalf. He's not free enough to call me himself right now. Oh, my partner CJ is. Uh, is the one that handles that. Oh, um, my uh, my boss CJ is the one that handles that. That's that's the best way to do it because if you can do it that way, it's gonna paint a, a fabulous picture of yourself in the prospect's mind. You know what I mean? That's right. So I know that you mentioned a little while ago your previous industries being a CFP. Right. Uh, would you mind if we? Go into that a little bit. Talk about that. Definitely. Um, so I saw on your Facebook you just posted that you wanted – one of your goals was to right. be one of the youngest CFPs, if not the youngest CFP. And then you got your CFP at what age? Was it 20? Uh, I was 20, 21 or 22. I think I was okay. just turning 22. I, I had just turned 22 actually. Okay. And, and you also said you had to go through a whole bunch of obstacles yeah, yeah. And, and issues along the way. Um, so first, how did you overcome that? What were those obstacles? And then lastly – what did it feel like, you know, once you got that? Once you got the piece of paper, it was in front of you, and you, you felt that accomplishment. What did that feel like? Yeah. So here, I'm gonna let me unpack that a little bit. So just it's a, to it's kinda, a lot to unpack. Yeah. To to <clears throat> to give you an idea of where I was at in my life. I remember growing up, I was somebody that traded stocks my entire life, um, up until probably the last five years ago. I really didn't I haven't traded anything personally. Um, but my dad taught me how to trade. Or my dad introduced the idea of trading options to me when I was 14 years old, and I took, you know, I took the bait. I ran with it, and I learned as much as I could on, on trading options. Uh, I think I was about, yeah, a freshman in high school, and I made um, ten thousand dollars sitting in my computer class, and that, that was the first time in my life I was like, "Fuck school." Because why is anybody here teaching me anything about anything? And I just made 10 grand sitting here while I'm learning how to play computer games. Literally, like I'm sitting in my computer class and everybody else is playing. Uh, what's I'm trying to think of uh, computer games. But 
uh, Matthew one two three. What was it called? Uh, one of those stupid computer games. Is that the Literally. one where you're like that little green goblin? You're going through the. I castle. have. Did you ever play that game? No, no. Oh, man, that was that was. But the shit. anyway, everybody else is playing games, and I'm sitting there on my E Trade account, which mm -hmm. I took all the money I made that summer, plugged it into my E Trade account, and was trading stock options. And I'll never forget. I'm sitting there, and I bought a bunch of Apple call options, and I didn't know shit about shit at the time, like quite honestly. I knew, all right, you know, call option is this. A put option means that you're betting against the, the stock. And now I know all the spreads, the callers, et cetera. Um, and I haven't done them in forever. But I bought that option, the Apple call option, because I was so excited to go watch the Steve Jobs movie that was coming out at the time. So that, that dates when when I actually made that money. And I made ten grand. I'm sitting there in my computer class. I'm like, "Yep." So, what is everybody else doing today? I just made ten G's. Let's go. Um, and that really propelled my interest in finance. So, uh, kind of moved forward about to when I'm graduating high school. I had all these great aspirations. You know, I'm gonna be a millionaire. I would talk shit to everybody in, in my class, like not talk shit in a way, but make it known that this is what I'm gonna be when I'm older, right? And don't take no for an answer. Like, this is what I'm gonna be. You know, just hopefully uh, you do the same. You know what I mean? Like, I want the best for you guys, but this is what I'm going to be. I, want, I don't like going out and hanging out with everybody, going to parties. I'm going to be this. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, went to college. Uh, got, like, a, a good job my first uh, freshman year in college uh, that summer. Then it was my sophomore year and every, that's like really when you're positioning yourself for your career it's like all right i need to make my money moves now in college all right sophomore year what am i going to do and i'm sitting there it's coming it's about february of sophomore year yeah so that would be second semester and i'm sitting there i'm like shit i have to go intern somewhere and i'm talking to my dad and he's like hey man why don't you get your insurance license my dad was a financial advisor and for anybody that really wants to know what a financial advisor is if you're just a financial advisor you're an insurance salesman now if you are somebody that is like a money manager in other words you you uh trade brokerage accounts and and uh and such now my dad fortunately elevated his career um and now I don't consider him a financial advisor, but we'll we'll get into that in a little bit. But anyway, um, so it's my sophomore year. It's about February. Um, he introduced that idea of me being and get my insurance license. I go out, do everything I need to do to get my insurance license. Like, dude, nobody's getting their professional licenses at that age. And I'm thinking, all right, let's ride with it. I go home, my dad's like, you're going to make all this money, dude. You're going to make all this money. Let's get you appointed with all these different carriers. Go. I don't make jack shit my, that whole summer, like nothing. Until my dad drops a golden nugget on me. He, he looks at me and goes, yeah, I know this summer kind of sucked for you. Like you really didn't do anything like I'm trying to teach you. But nobody's going to buy insurance from, from somebody that doesn't know jack shit about insurance, which was me. I just like, you don't know anything when you pass your test about how anything really works. You just know these vacant concepts. And anyway, uh, he introduces me to the greatest money-making machine that I've ever known at that age, which was selling Medicare. And uh, when I say selling Medicare, it's like the ancillary stuff surrounding Medicare because you really can't sell Medicare. It's a government-funded project, uh, insurance program. And I remember sitting there, I'm talking to my dad after he showed me this. I'm like, hey, man, I know that we can make a lot of money doing this, but, like, how are the big dogs 
making money doing this. And he goes, man, they get up and public speak. And I go, let's go. Like, sign me up, man. I'm in this the business like to make money. Is that, yeah, no. Mm. Yeah, no, this is 20 years old. I sat there. I had the great idea of doing a seminar. Really, I, it sounded so much cooler on paper at the time. I'm like, yeah, man, I'm going to do a seminar. I'm going to do this. We're gonna we're gonna uh, walk out of there. I'm gonna get so much new business and really just propel my career. Man, you sound like a lion when you first introduced that idea, right? It's like, yeah, I'm gonna do this so courageous. Uh, fast forward a couple months to when that comes around, I am scared shitless to get up there. We we dial into the the event organizer. She sends us an email and says, "Hey, we got a hundred people signed up for this thing." I go. Fuck me. I was hoping nobody was going to sign up for this. I was like already checking. Dude, I was ready to chicken out. All right. So I was so ready to just kind of give up on it. And my dad's like, no, man, we got to go through with it. He's not a public speaker, by the way. He's totally relying on the fact that I. So one, I'm relying on him to to do it all. He's not a public speaker. He's relying on me to do it all. So, like, there's this weird mutual, like, hey, you're in charge. You're, like, like we're pointing fingers at each other. And I go, oh, shit. I got to be good at this because this is, like, my first real time out there in the open market where I'm going to be looked at as a professional. I kid you not, man. I made my my good friends, Jake Thomas and uh, uh, my my ex-girlfriend, I made them all sit through my presentation for hours where I would just rehearse it. I was a madman. Anybody in, in my uh, apartment at the time, I'd be like, hey, man, can you just give me like an hour and just literally did I sit right there on the couch while I give my presentation to you? And I would. And uh, that was one of the another, uh, I guess I'll call it a, a, a turning point in my life where I ended up giving that seminar. It kicked ass so much. The point when I had 100 people, I think I did like – I don't want to say fifteen thousand. I'll say ten thousand dollars worth of business out of it. So that one event changed again the trajectory of my life, um, and it, I'll never forget. Again, I was driving back home because I, uh, uh, I would have to drive all the way back home to Hilton Head where we did those events. I was sitting there and, and I got kind of teary eyed to the part where I sat there. I was like, "This is a, this is the first real stepping stone." to the things that I want to do in my life is get up there and give presentations because I always knew the guys that were up there giving legitimate presentations were the bread earners. Mm -hmm. I mean, you got guys like Ed Milet up there, Tony Robbins, like anybody that if you can uh, get a lot of people to give your, your attention, you can take advantage of that in the best possible way, dude, you will be successful at whatever it is. So I knew that what I was doing there was going to be that it was just going to launch my career to the next level. Ended up killing it. Uh, people were coming up to me saying, you know, you be a movie star, blah, blah, Because, again, they're all uh, nice uh, nice older folks yeah. uh, because they're in Medicare. And, man, I just felt so I was on the moon. Like, I w- was on top of the world. Uh, from there, I got so excited. The next uh, couple of years while I was in college, we did like 30 to 40 seminars, something like that. I, I would say the average was about 45 people would come. So my biggest one was at Hilton Head Plantation. We'd get 100 every year. Every year we'd get 100. Um, and that's how I got so comfortable speaking to a large crowd was through those seminars. And uh, just to kind of keep ripping on this tangent a little bit, people always ask me, you know, how are you? How do you get good at giving, like, is it a natural ability getting up there and talking in front of people? And I always refer to... Um, 
the note on Steve Jobs where he's sitting there in his first interview and his he's like profusely sweating and his hands are sweating so bad. The reason why a guy like him was so good, if you don't believe for a second that Steve Jobs gave every minute of his life when he knew he was going to give one of those giant keynote speeches, he probably locked himself in a room for like 30 to 40 hours that week and just ripped on that on that keynote. You become good at public speaking through practice. I don't care what anybody says. You know, there are those few people that can get up there and just roll off the cuff. But you get good through practice. So if you're not up there talking in front of a large crowd of people on a regular basis, you'll always suck at public speaking. And your first one that you do, fortunately, you will suck because unless you suck one or two times, bro, you won't get any better either. You have to understand. You need that one little punch in the face, I will say. Where it reminds you, all right, I was getting a little too cocky. I need to practice again. And I've had those before. Um, But uh, as far as keeping going on my career, where I was, so I did those. um, COVID pretty much hit me pretty hard. And I grad. We. we both, did we both graduate during the COVID year, or you graduated a year? I graduated a year after you. A year you, after me. You're 20. You're 20. Uh, yeah, I was 20. Okay. Oh, yeah, I graduated in 2020. Okay. Um, and so anyway, it's COVID year. So my whole pretty much undergraduate, or yeah, my undergraduate years, I was working in the insurance field. Didn't really have a real job. You know, I was making pretty damn good money for a kid that, you know, most kids would go and work at the bars. And I was getting paid... Uh, what do we call them again? Uh, renewals on insurance products that I was selling throughout the entire year. So like the new year would come around, I'd get like a $10,000 check in, in my bank account. And I'd be like, this freaking rocks. Let's go. You know, like I just worked that whole summer and I get uh, $10,000. Uh, in my eyes, it was a $10,000 bill. <laughs> you know what I mean? That would just hit every single January. And well, now it's time to get into the real world, right? And I have this pivotal moment where you know, everybody in my family's sitting there. I really didn't leave career options for myself other than following my father's footsteps. Like, I didn't leave any other uh, options available. I was totally like, all right, I got one thing to do. I didn't go to, I never had a formal interview in my entire life. Really? I ne- never, not once in my entire life have I had a formal interview. Never. How'd you get the, your dad got you into the CFP job so, originally? So I guess you could say my form, quote unquote formal interview was me meeting with that, my dad's regional director. And it was just like, Hey, so you're going to come work with us. And I was like, yep, that, yeah, I am. Um, and man, I thought I was going to take over the world again there. And it just, so I, it long story short, that field just was not a good fit for me. Like I found out very, very soon that, you know, I had worked my whole life to kind of integrate myself into the financial services space. And, you know, two years in, I was like, after I got the CFP, you know, that was the greatest achievement in the field, uh, for, for personal finance, uh, being an advisor, I just kind of had enough. I mean, the, I just didn't feel like the company, not to, not to bat. It just wasn't a good fit for me is as much as I'll say on that. But, um, working, uh, to kind of push a little bit further into how I, how I kind of found myself being a CFP was I got lucky in a lot of ways, right? I worked in the insurance field as an undergrad, you know, I had my dad, 
directed me and pointed me in the right direction as far as like this is what you want to do. You know, I'd be making a million dollars a year if I was a CFP. Uh, he wasn't a CFP at the time. He was just a traditional financial advisor. And uh, he really gave me that that glimpse of what success would be at a level greater than what he was seeing, right? And I really thank my dad for that. He like your your dad always wants better for you. You know what I mean? It, and so he kind of uh, he he gave me that idea, and I followed pretty much everything that he he thought was the right idea for me. And it worked out really well until, you know, sometimes you just kind of need to, to carve your own path. And so we're, we're, um, we're both working for the same company. And the company pretty much throws me under my dad. And I'm thinking, what a crock of shit this is. You know, like, I've pretty much worked with my dad my whole life. And at the time, he was not a master. Like, it wasn't like he was a master. So you don't really get better until you get challenged, right? And so I think the greatest thing for my dad was a young, stupid kid like myself being in there asking a shitload of questions is what made him, like, really good at what he does. I wouldn't say he was the man when I first started. And so they threw me under him, and I'm like, all right, so I'm supposed to learn from you, Dad? FYI, that's not how the business works. That was just something that kind of worked for them at the time. It was like, hey, you know, he's going to teach you a lot. I mean, it wasn't like my dad's making a million dollars a year. He has the ability to, to teach me, like, the the flow of new clients to teach me all the fundamentals of the business. So basically, I have to learn on my own. doesn't really work, and I go, all right, shit. You know, the one way to really learn how to do all this stuff, I guess, is, or, uh, is to kind of uh, level up from a knowledge standpoint. You know what I mean? And so I started kind of working on my professional designations. He got an appetite for it. He was like, all right, you know, me and my son are both going to go down this path together where we're both going to go after these designations. I'm thinking, all right, this is going to be easy. You know, I just started as an advisor in the business. I have all these great ideas, pitch it to everybody. Everybody in that industry tried steering me the other direction. They wanted me to be a salesman. And I hated that idea of just peddling insurance products because that's what I was doing for so many years. I had the idea when I was getting into the business, Wall Street. I mean, when you tell people, financial advisor, what do they they think? Dude, you're on Wall Street, bro. Like, this is uh, Jordan Belfort, Wolf of Wall Street. It's not like that. FYI, uh, for any of the guys going, uh, don't at me, Northwestern. Like, (laughs) but... uh, Anyway, I had better ideas. Like I wanted to, to I trusted my dad a lot, and he really, he really kind of paved the way for me. And so we wanted to, to champion this thing together, being CFPs. It was a two-year friggin' path I still had left. Hmm. And we had that vision of doing it together. And looking back, and you want me to unpack the whole CFP story because there's a lot more, believe Dude, I'm, I'm yeah. like totally into this. Let's go. So, uh... We have this idea, this stupid idea. It's COVID right now, so there's no better time to really advance yourself. With uh, you're not, nobody's really making a lot of money at the time. Like there's nobody's really getting new clients. What better time is there to really advance your skills than COVID, where everybody's sitting there and really doing? Everybody's taking work off. off. Like right. nobody's doing anything at this point. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I'm living with uh, my ex-girlfriend at the time in Raleigh. 
and I'm trying to go down this path. It's just not really working. Like I'm not making any money doing this. Like my life kind of sucks at this point. Like I'm like, all right, we just graduated. It's COVID right now. Uh, I'm, I'm living with this girl. I'm not providing anything. Like she's totally providing for me at the time. Like I'm, I'm a dude with like very little value, but with a lot of aspirations. And so we're going, me and my dad are going down this path at the same time. And it's a long road. So it's kind of hard to get people to believe in you for the long term when it's so far out, dude. It's like, hey, this is going to be a two-year ride. I mean, I had to get my family to believe in me, um, and they did. I had to, to get the company to believe in me because they're like, hey, man, you need to be out there selling. Like, you need to be out there selling products. And I'm like, what the fuck, man? This is a, We're supposed to be advising people, not, not selling products to them. Like, right. the idea is not finding things to put in for them it's finding maybe they made a mistake somewhere and we have to rearrange things like that was the idea i had um and so it took a lot of studying and to to the point where um i ended up having to move back home uh with with my folks at the time which sucked so bad and uh we're me and my dad are working on this thing together and it ends up where i'm in a position where my life's kind of falling apart because, dude, when you're studying 24-7, you kind of develop no life. Yeah, it's like kind of hard to yeah. be social while you're studying 100%. And COVID on top of that, man, it allows uh, some pretty negative, intrusive thoughts, right? Where you're just sitting there like, my life sucks. This sucks so bad. Like, am I making the right decision? This is a two-year uh, two vision I have. Is this going to pan out the way that I want it to? That, those are like all the thoughts that I'm having. And then I'm thinking like, shit. What, do, what happens when I get it? I can't make a damn dollar for myself still. And all those thoughts are running through your head. Anyway, we go through studying. Uh, I'm, I'm living back home. I'm really not doing anything. I'm like, my studying is just totally falling apart because I'm dealing with uh, like a lot of internal struggles at the time. And I go and I fail, fail my exam. The only reason I was eligible the first time, by the way, was because I had all that insurance experience. So the way I was able to be the youngest at the, at that set period in time was I got lucky as shit, dude. I had amassed all those few years as an insurance producer, which qualified as experience. Little did I know I was working full time in school. I was literally working full time where I would drive back and forth giving seminars uh, every single weekend, I'd be handling clients every day, working as a full-time student. I was able to uh, credit those hours towards my towards my designation. We're studying. Uh, I go to take my exam first. I'm just not in the right right mind, uh, and I fail. That was the lowest point in my life. And uh, to to jump forward, study my ass off the second time around. And I ended up passing. I know that's kind of anticlimactic, but there's a lot of things in between there. Maybe we'll touch on it in a, in a second. Um, a lot of like overcoming the the struggle. So, uh, you first referred to um, yes in my Facebook post. Yeah, yeah. So I think you just I think you just posted this. Yeah. No. Uh, no. 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 That was I pinned it. it okay, because it was the first thing yeah. I saw on your page. So I pinned it because. Get him as anticlimactic as that story goes. I'll tell you why it meant so much because I was really at a bad point in my life. I mean, as stupid as it sounds, my dog died. Uh, my my ex girlfriend at the time pretty much left me because, uh, like, essentially, like, looking back at it, you can see what a like low life you were, and I was a low life, dude. I was like the 
the least value a man could have, I uh, like that's who I was as an individual. So I'm like that low. And then I go and I fail this exam. I'm like, my life sucks. You know, the girl that I, I was really into left me. I'm back home with my parents. I have no money to my name. I pretty much went out on a limb trying to develop my career. That might not even work. And I have no idea. Like, again, I have no money in what I'm doing. I'm just not enjoying anything. My dog died. It's COVID. I have nothing to do uh, other than study. And, I mean, I go into that, that exam and I, and I failed it. And the worst part about it was I thought I was the man going into it. Like, in my head, everybody's asking me, why aren't you studying harder? And I'm like, because I'm CJ, I can pass it. I shit you not, dude. Yeah. I swear to you, everybody that I spoke to asked me, you know, how studying going? And I would sit there on my phone all day telling people I was studying. I was so caught up by, like, the, the, the internal things going on in my head and uh, what was going on in my life that I could give two fucks less about the CFP. Mm-hmm. And I went in there and I, oh, like, a, I played the part as if I was the man because I knew I wasn't the man at the time. So I didn't want anybody to know that. And I went into that exam and I bombed. I'll, I swear to you. And th- this is where the story kind of gets good. I remember sitting there in the first, like, 10 questions, I'm taking this exam. It's an $825 test, I think. Uh, is what it is. It costs eight hundred and twenty five bucks to sit, to sit for it, and my cocky ass went and sat for it anyway. <laughs> and I had no money. Uh, and I go in, and the first ten questions go by, and I go, "I'm fucked." I do because it's one hundred and seventy two questions. Is this a timed exam? Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's seven you. and a half hours. It's like eight hours. Uh, one hundred and seventy two questions, and I sat there and I go, "I'm fucked." <laughs> like the first ten questions, I'm literally sitting there. I'm like, I don't know what the hell I just sat down for fail it i have like this mental breakdown in a way where uh i feel like i let everybody down in my whole life when i t- when i failed that test because i'm out there perusing around like i'm cg i can pass this like i, I never don't clutch up that's literally how, I, how i've always felt i never don't clutch up and i'll never forget the most meaningful conversation that i had with my grandfather it was because I, I was calling all my friends i was like hey man i let you down like, I know that you think of me as this person. I let you down. I didn't study. I thought I was the man, and I whiffed hard. Uh, called my dad. Hey, I let you down. Like, I was in total accountability mode. Um, and I called my grandfather because my, my grandfather's my, my guy. Like, he, he's full on my dude. And I call him up, and I say, man, I let you down. And is my, your dad's dad or your mom's This dad? is my mom's dad. Mom's dad, okay. Um, and, that, like, over that time, I'm just having, like, a, a breakdown where – like I'm just full tears like everybody I'm talking to it's just like I'm fully sobbing like man I fucked up like I fucked up hard and he basically calmed me down was like you know what you did you can't harp on it now you know what to do this is going to be the real thing that defines you is how you respond to the situation and we we had that conversation where he was like I, I knew you were, he, he goes, if we're being honest, I knew you were going to fail. And I, I was like, he yeah, he, he said, I knew you were going to fail. I didn't have a good feeling when you called me. I was like, why? He says, yeah, it just wasn't the you that I remember you being. And that was a hard conversation, but that was one of the best conversations that I had. I mean, my mind was on uh, a girl. My mind was on like my family problems. My mind was on 
just all the wrong shit. I mean, dude, I, I, I was so lost. Uh, and then I turned to God in, in the best possible way. I was like, you know what, man? I lived my, a better portion of my life atheist. And I thought I was the man. And I clearly need to, to recover from this. Like, I need to humble myself. That conversation with my grandfather that uh, period where I said, you know, I'm carrying this big weight on my shoulders. I need I need to finally look to God because he's okay with taking that big weight off your shoulders, bro. And, and I went into that next exam and I studied my ass off every single day I was in there studying. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's tough because, I mean... It takes five months to study. So the first five months, I didn't do shit. Now I failed. And I got to say, I got to go another five months and not talking to anybody. Like, that is hard mentally to do. Where I'm sitting there, I'm like, all right, I got to go another go around because I, I didn't play the first time. And I messed around. So now I got to devote another five months. So I was living at home. I call... Uh, uh, when I talked to my grandfather, he's like, why don't you move in with us? I move in with my grandparents. So I'm out of my house. So my, my house was just not the place to be. Total uh, internal turmoil going on. Um, and I moved there. And I was able to really dive back into who I was. I was hustling my ass off. I was in the gym every single day. Dude, I was getting... Uh, that was probably the most diced I've ever been in you my were life. Shredded. Yeah, you dude. Show me that seventy-five yeah. hard picture. Dude, oh well, no, no, that's so seventy-five hard. All right, I was shredded, but you dude, were bigger that, then. No, no, the, dude. When you go through a bad breakup, bro, that's when you get the most oh, diced yeah. of your entire life, dude. I had I veins coming out of my abs, like it was a little. Attaboy. It was like disgusting how shredded I was. I love to hear that. Yeah, and uh, and I moved in with them. I just got super regimented with everything. You know, I'd go to bed at eight o'clock. I'd get up at five o'clock. I Get up 4.30, be at the gym at 5, be at the office at, at uh, 6.30, studying. Boom, every day. My dad was not the same. My dad was functioning uh, the business where I wasn't. Like, because I was kind of helping facilitate early on, uh, just kind of doing admin work. He knew that this was my time to shine, in a way. And we were both taking the exam. Uh, he ended up not taking it the first time around. After I failed, he said, fuck that. He got lucky. He didn't have to take it. Wait, so this is the second time you're taking this the exam? This is the second and exam. And he didn't take it with you that time? No, he, he, he did take it with me the second time. The, the second first time, he was supposed to take it. He didn't get to. Okay. Is that the computer you... crashed. Oh, okay. On him, and he got a freebie. Really? Yeah, he, oh, went, so to he, go sit, the... he went to sit down for the exam, and he's in Savannah, and the computer crashed on him. And what? I was I was calling him out so hard. I was like, you are so full of shit. Like, there's no way that that actually <laughs> happened. Yeah, surprisingly wow. enough, it did. So he now had to go the second cycle, but he couldn't take off that amount of time. It would just hurt him financially too much. I was at a position, I mean, I'm no rent, living with my, my grandparents. I had enough money. It's not like I'm spending any money on marketing. I had the, the renewals from Medicare. I'm still functioning in that business. But, uh, I mean, I went in full beast mode, bro. Like, I was sitting there every single day studying my ass off. And, uh, like I'm reigniting my love life a little bit, uh, my, my girlfriend now, uh, and I got to talking a little bit and you know how I knew I was in a, in a different space hmm. The before that, uh, on the first go around, I was like trying to 
rebound hard from like uh, my love life. The second go around, she hit my my girlfriend now who I wasn't dating at the time hits me up and I go, hey, you know I would love to to talk with you. Like I would love to get to know you. I can't right now. I dead ass said that. I said you have to understand. I'm go. I'm I'm working towards something. She probably respected that too, dude. I think that was like one of the most badass things. Ever. Like, oh, dude. dude, to just be able to sit there and say, "Hey, I got dreams I'm trying to achieve right now. I would, I, I would love to have this conversation. I'd love to take you out, but it's got to wait." And basically, fuck off until <laughs> until I'm done. Like that's how it was. And this was at the beginning of the five months of studying, right? Uh, this is probably in. about halfway in. Halfway? Uh, actually, I take it back. This was th- three weeks till the actual exam. Okay, so you had about three weeks yeah. until you. Okay. And so I was like, but uh, 20, 22 days in, I promise you I will hit you up. I love that. <laughs> like, I was like, just Man believe that, yep. Mm-hmm. And, uh, dude, I just went like full beast mode. I I was like fully affirmed in my faith where I was sitting there, I was praying every night. I was saying, you know, God, if this is the right thing for me, please. If it's not, it's okay. And I'll figure it out. And uh, getting up, same regimen, just trying to crush every moment of it. And... Dude, I go in. I go into that exam. I sit down, and uh, and I and I sit there, and I'm taking the exam. About ten questions, and I literally have a a chill, like chills go over my body. I go, you you just knew, dude. I literally I sat there ten questions, and I go, I didn't miss a fucking question. Not a boy. Like, dude, you know, like you know, when you sit there, and you're like, this is right, 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 and like a minute and thirty seconds went by, and you're like, I know because. Dude, when your brain is functioning at that high level, and, like, I was on a shitload of Adderall at the time, which I'm not on any Adderall anymore, but for the better, and we'll probably talk about that a little bit, but, uh, dude, everything just changed, right? Like, I'll never forget that moment of chills where I was sitting there, I was like, dude, you did it. I literally congratulated myself in that moment, and you don't know the score of your exam, but I bet you I got, like, a 95 they, so they don't, they don't tell you the score? No, it's a pass or fail. But you knew. You, you knew deep down that you got those questions. I walked right. out because do, you do an intermission during the exam. And I walked out. My dad's sitting out there. My dad's like, fuck, that was hard. <laughs> and I look at him. I go, I passed. Attaboy. And I uh, come to that last question, go submit. I didn't even have to look at it. I, I knew I passed. That was the first time. Like, usually when you go to those uh, official exams, you get nervous on that last button. I was like, I fucking passed. Boom. Hit it, pass comes up, I walk out of there, I'm like shaking. Dude, I get to my car and I just start bawling. Like, a, probably, like, it makes me laugh now, probably worse than when I failed. I was crying so bad because I was like, I was going to leave that career when I, if I failed because I didn't, I could not go through another five months. Everything was on the line. Everything was on the line. I had everything on the line, dude. And I, would, I was calling all my friends. I was like, I passed. I passed. I passed. And it just redeemed my self-worth. Like, I know nobody else thought of me that way, but it redeemed everything for me. Where I was sitting there, I was like, you are who you, who you say you are. You can do anything as long as you do the shit you know you need to do. And that was that's what it came down to. And I went out that night, and I uh, I took Brooklyn out that night. That night I passed. Man, that gave me goosebumps. Yeah, that dude. Gave that gave me goosebumps. I took her out that night. And I met y'all are, y'all are still together. Happy yeah, relationship. Absolutely, dude. And uh, she's a great girl. But that was absolutely a great. I met uh, 
Dave Portnoy's Pizza Boy. Shout out to you, Frankie Borelli. That <laughs> night too, he was, he was out. Uh, he was there. Um, but that was just hilarious, dude. Should have hopped on his video when he was. No, I know. Pizza. It was. Uh, that was a funny story. We, yeah, that night we got wasted. I will say that. Oh, I don't. Yeah. I don't drink a lot, but dude, that night I went out. You deserved it. You deserved it. You got to reward yo. yourself, you know. And I didn't think like I was crying a lot that day, bro. Yeah. I was sitting there. I mean, yo, there are only a couple points in my life where I have had like that amount of stress on me. But I was really at a point where I said, if I don't do this, I don't know what I'll, I really don't know what I'm going to do. Like there was no other idea of business that I had in my mind. That was the only direction that I could choose. And it's funny now I gave it all up. Yeah. I just like just like that, dude. I, mean, I, I, I was about to bring that up. Because, yeah. Because, you know, a couple was it a couple years elapses and now you're doing not even a couple years. Was it about, about a year elapses and then you start your wholesaling company, right? Five months. Five months. Not even, dude. Five I started months. wholesaling five. Let's call it five, five, six months ago. Okay, gotcha. While I was at the company, <laughs> I mean, that was another point where I ended up getting it. It just, it felt like I needed to have that. Like mm-hmm. you're, in my opinion, and this is just my my own opinion, is you're not a financial advisor if you don't have a CFP. Excuse me, you are an insurance salesman, or you are a guy that presses buttons on an account that is managed by a company that you have no idea what the hell is going on. And uh, fast forward, um, my dad did get a CFP, and that was something I was – I I mean, when he got it, I was as excited for him as as I was. He didn't pass the same time. He failed. He, he, failed, he, he failed, failed the, the first time with me. Okay. Uh, he failed the first time when I passed. So, so he kind of like, had a similar experience yeah, to you then. Yeah, yeah, a little bit, and and he he went through the grind as well. But I mean, you, do you have that kind of relationship with with your dad? I mean, I think I know a little bit uh, about what you guys do. I, uh, both in the, in, I'll call it the contracting business. In in other words, right? Uh, are you guys both in that space? Yeah, he uh, he does a lot of custom furniture and refinishing and things. like okay. that. Okay. Um, and so I started off my career my interest in in that space with my dad so i worked with him uh, after college for a little bit i uh, worked with him all through college right um and similar similar thing but um you know i'm, I'm doing a little bit of a different space I'm, I'm more painting and uh like bigger contracting work than my dad um just just per project and and he's uh he's just he's very talented at what he did we, we have an amazing relationship right and, um we have an amazing relationship. Is I, your I, dad I your guy? Dad. Yeah, he's my guy, bro. We'll, we'll, we'll just sit outside on the porch, smoke cigars, and talk, right. talk shit like all night, you know? Yeah. Um, it, it's it's a it's a similar and a different relationship from you right. and your dad. Um, but it's it's still a really really valuable part of my life, man. Yeah, I was the the biggest curse and blessing in the relationship with me and my dad. I'd say is my dad's my best friend. Like, there, I I have my best friend like my boys, but do me and my dad. Like Tight. I would die for my dad. Yeah, yeah. Like he's my guy. Um, but uh, like, it's a curse and a blessing because I guess like growing up, you want somebody to be a little bit more disciplined with you. Now, my dad had a very, uh, I don't want to. My dad had a tough relationship with his father, from my understanding. My dad's dad was just never around, um, and when he was around, he'd like beat the shit out of him. Uh, yeah. I don't think he was, uh, he wasn't a drug guy, but like, he's just kind of like lazy drinker, like didn't do anything would no like good jobs. Just really like had nothing going for him. And he was out of the picture. My dad pretty much grew up with his grandparents. And I truly believe that the reason why my dad and I are so close is that 
he had that really tough relationship with his father and he said I will be nothing like my dad like my me and my kid we're gonna be best buds and I think that again like that's a curse and a blessing because it la- I lacked that like area of discipline I was a very shitty kid like I great I have great parents like really I'm very fortunate for the parents that I have I was a piece of shit kid and I look at that and like for all the 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 cool things that I've done you know you it's very easy to look back and say you know I fucked up as a kid like man I was so mean to my parents um I was a know-it-all uh you know I told my dad I wanted to be nothing like him like him I was like dad you are not successful this is the house we live in I've said that too yeah I was like we live in this house how are you gonna tell me you're successful and I really broke him down a couple times and I mean God, it pains me to think that I did shit like that because now knowing like the struggles and knowing like the the things that my my family has overcome and really the work that him and my mom have done, I should have been nothing but grateful. But that's a cool thing about living and learning, dude. You you know where he fucked up, and now I appreciate so much more the things that they do on a daily basis. Then I probably would have. Yeah. Um, so it's a curse and a blessing because I wish he would have beat the shit out of me a little bit yeah. for being like that. Maybe I would have uh, learned a little bit faster. But I mean, he was kind of like he would just be have like a smart response back to me and kind of handled it well. And uh, wasn't a guy that like ever put his hands on me or anything. But we were like boys, yeah. like yeah. Be- like best mm. friends, man. I talked to my dad probably every day, almost every day, like stupid shit. What, what about your mom, man? I know um, that's a big yeah. motivational factor in your life. Yeah, I would say me and my mom talk very often. Um, I look at my mom as my – so my dad's like my best friend. I look at my mom, like you said, is my inspiration. So my mom was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, and what that is is uh, it's an autoimmune disease that essentially your body thinks that you're uh, – I'm not a doctor, by the way. Uh, this is my understanding of what it is. Um your body is attacking the myelin sheath, basically your central nervous system. Frame it as if you, I think of it like a coax or not, yeah, coax cable, like any cable, and like taking a knife to it and just kind of like cutting little phrase in it, and the connection's going to be all effed up. She has that, and she's had it for as long as I can remember. And I literally can't remember my mom ever being able to walk properly. Like in my, like I will sit there and I'll try and. I believe that you like you'll create false memories and your like your brain is that powerful where you'll create false memories. I can't even like I'll make fake memories of my mom being able to walk that I just know aren't like yeah. I can't really imagine her ever being able to walk. When did it like was was she always like that or was it kind of when you were a little older? It, it was uh, like like she's old, she had a cane for every as for as long as I can remember she had a cane like hobble around like really bad dragging her feet to the point she is walker in a wheelchair now. Like that's the only form of transportation. She's actually doing really well, and that's good. Um, but she's my inspiration for everything because I see her as somebody that, like, her life could be like could have been anything, and she was dealt that. Um, and I th- I I believe that I was put on Earth for for a reason, uh, and that. Uh, it's kind of to go off on a tangent a little bit. Why, the, what my mom is and how she's my inspiration is, I truly believe that I will buy the company that has the 
the that is the most progressed in finding the cure for MS, and I'm going to open source all the information on that and kind of give it out for free to everybody. I'll probably die on my deathbed. Somebody will assassinate me for doing some shit like that, but that is like my purpose here on Earth because I really believe that it's it's not like cancer where you know you get cancer and you know like you can prepare. You know what I not not prepare for like curing it, but I mean like you know what's coming. Like you sit there and you kind of almost pre-mourn in a way. You know what I mean? Somebody's diagnosed with cancer. In the first couple months, you're sitting there and like you're having those conversations. Uh, somebody gets Alzheimer's, you, you like you're having those conversations with your family. You're like, it's it's gonna get the yeah. With my mom and multiple sclerosis, it is like the most. Uh, it is like the slowest progressing i don't want to say slowest progressing disease but it feels like the slowest burn and painful like she's going through constant pain it's like she's aging five years every year like like that's how i think of it so it's like you can't mourn because she's still alive and it's gonna it's just watching somebody was dealt the most miserable hand of something and it like it won't even put them out of their misery whereas i i like shit man if you get alzheimer's at some point you're gonna you'll forget, you know, and you'll, in the way I think of it is you'll be in a hat. You'll be, although everybody around you will kind of be mourning, you'll be in kind of like not a happy place, but not suffering as much anymore. Uh, For those that have cancer and God, another terrible, terrible thing. And I've had a a couple of family members uh, survive it actually. Um, uh, my aunt, my grandmother, and my and my grandfather. Um, maybe there's somebody I'm forgetting, but uh, that's that's another one. But you kind of you mourn it a little bit, you know. Like you sit there and you gather with your family and you, you have those conversations. Like this is where it could go. Like I might not be around come a year, and you have those tough conversations where you can kind of get it out. I mean. But I, it, you know, it's a little harder for you. Yeah, like I have, I have conversations with my mom, and I say, "Mom, I just want you to be happy." Like I'll, like I'll say, I'm not a very emotional guy. Um, like you said, I'm very analytical. But there are times where you know you gotta get it out. Now, I'll, like this was probably about four months, three months ago. I'm sitting down with my mom, and I'm trying to help her find her purpose again in life. And I like, mom, I'm tired of this. I just want you to be happy. Like. Like, I'm tired of this. Like, what can I do? Like, what can I help you find? Like, where can I help you find that happiness? Because she's, um, she's going back and forth with potentially going on trials uh, for new drugs. And I constantly sit there and I'm like, fuck these people. I know that everybody's trying to help you, but put this shit back in your hands again. We're waiting on these doctors to tell you whether you're not in a trial. They're in, con- like, this might be... Um, to macro but i think like they're they're in control of your life now like you're hoping that they're gonna admit you to something what if you just deal like you just say all right i'm gonna catch this this uh these set of cards now i'm gonna make something of it like if it happens great but i'm gonna play as if it doesn't happen and like i sit there and i have those conversations with my mom all the time like screw the doctors screw everything let's focus on you Let's put the ball back in your court. Let them accept you the trial, and then you are in a position whether you're deciding whether you're going to do it or not. 
And she, and she's my motivation because I see, and I was talking about this with you and Jake. Not everybody is uh, given what I believe that we're given, and that's the ability to uh, really change change your family's lives. Like having goals that are so big that scare you. Like most people don't even know what goals are. Most people don't even know how to set goals, and. I believe that the people like us that are given these foundations and, and uh, are born with these kind of innate beliefs that we're that we can do greater things. Like we have a responsibility, we bro. Do. Yeah, we do. You know, do you like? I I don't know what gets you up out of bed, but do you feel like you have a responsibility to kind of do greater things? Because that's the way that I I swear to you, and I can't make that up, but that is how I feel. I is do. when I wake I up, I, I owe it to people. Exactly. Like if you're, if you are given the innate capability to go out there and make change, to make something of yourself, to have an impact on the world, you damn better use it and you damn better, better follow up on it. Um, you know, one of my, my big goal really has always been, always been relative to fighting and my, right. my growth as a fighter. I've been doing it for 12, my entire life. It's like all I, all I know. I fucking love it. Um, and one of my big goals is to, is to get people off the streets and get them into the gym to, to teach them how to be a man, to teach them how to live right, how, how to create goals, um, and, and, and how to stay off of the street and, and kind of training them to be from boys into men to, to right. make that transformation, man. So, and I, I feel like I have a fucking responsibility to do that for those guys because right. if not, if not, they're going to go out on their own. And they're going to make all the bad decisions that they that they are destined to make because of the situation that they're in. I think a lot of things is experientially, experientially based, right? Like, or just situationally based. And some people are, are a lot uh, have a, have it a lot harder to get out of the situation that they're currently in without an outside influence coming in and taking them out of that shit. Right. right? And um, and I feel like that's my that's my responsibility, bro. Because I in college I made a lot of impact on a lot of kids, and it, that was like the biggest thing in my life that I've done so far. Really, I think it's the biggest goal, uh, or or the biggest uh, thing that still motivates me today, was having guys come in and having them hotheads, and they just want to beat people up, and they just want to like do all these things on the street, and training them to restrain that and and to harness their power. You know, um, like uh, That's key. that that quote, brother. You know, it's like uh, I'd rather be. I'd rather be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in war, right? And I think that's a, a very, very good quote to live by and to train kids to grow up into, my brother. So, I mean, I, right. that's my that's my goal, and I, I have a mission to do that. Right. Um, I, dude, you just got me going, right? <laughs> no. That's a, that's, a great, that's a great uh It's a great thing, bro. If you have the innate capability as a man to go make change, you you damn better ought to go make change. It, yeah. is your, it is your duty. It is your, it is your God-given duty. And uh, without duty, like, what, what, is, what is life? Bro? Right. Like, you know, without some kind of purpose, goal, like, what, what are we doing? Right. Well, the funny thing is, I mean, I remember growing up and telling people, like, what my goals were. And they'd be like, what the fuck is a goal? Yeah. Like, what are you talking about, bro? Like, I just want to go and party. And I'd be like, do you not know what, a, like, what we're talking about I here? I have a quote right here that, that you, yeah. I think you said this. Yeah. Uh, a dream written down with a date becomes a goal. A goal broken down to steps becomes a plan. A plan backed by action becomes reality. Yeah. Did you say that? I can't remember. Well, I, that's definitely I not my it, quote. Well, but I saw like, it on your, I, I I've said it, it before. Like, yeah. That's that's on point, my brother. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I think – I don't know who exactly said it. Um, but that's something – dude, I'm a big goal guy. Mm-hmm. Like if, if I don't know what my next move is going to be – and I'm not saying like my next step – but if I don't know what I'm working towards, how can you, how can, like you said, uh, how can you even take that first step if you don't know what you're trying to do? 
And when I was growing up, literally, people would just... It's so crazy to me that you have to force people to develop yeah. goals. And the the way that I'm starting to understand it is that people do have goals, but just not in the way that we see them. Starting family, hanging out with their boys every weekend. That's a goal. Whether you like it or not, that's a goal. That's when I, I can't remember if I was having this conversation with uh, you, you and Jake, but it was... Uh, uh, it may it may have been with um yeah maybe it was with you guys where we were talking about how well like what you value like mm-hmm. maybe finding out what you value because there are people that value other things like I I love my family to death but and it sounds kind of chaotic to, it it really sounds stupid to say after everything I just said but my purpose is bigger than my family. And so I understand that I'm going to have to make sacrifices within my family and within certain relationships to do what I'm... I mean, dude, you can't go and just buy a $100, million, $100 billion biotech company and go to your kid's baseball game every single weekend. You can't do that and go on a date with your girl every single weekend. You can't do that and go drinking with your boys every weekend. And or, or You can't do that and spend a million... Like, every hour with your folks, you know, and, and, uh, spend Christmas with your folks. Like when you have a goal that big and like that, my value where I place a lot of value on something is like that, you know, it kind of makes you look at these things that other people value and you say, Oh shoot, is that really a goal? But now that I've kind of had the ability to take a step back, I understand that that is a goal. Like that is really what somebody values. They value that time with their boys. I just don't see it myself that way. Mm-hmm. And that I've come to understand, like, that's totally fine. Like, I have buddies right now that I love to death that would tell me, CJ, if I could buy a boat, you know, have a, a loving wife and a, a beautiful child, dude, I made it. And I sit there, I go, that's freaking awesome, dude. Yeah. Like, that sounds awesome. And it's not awesome because, like, that's what I think is awesome. I think it's it's freaking awesome that you are going to like that you love that and like you know what you want and that that's going to make you so happy and that makes me happy for you you know what i mean and it, it like i'll sit there um, my my girlfriend uh, in other words like she has kind of mixed goals is how i look at it like something some things are aspirational in career and then others are aspirational in like uh fun and with friends and things like that and, uh, you know, it, it took me a, I used to only feel like I could date somebody that was like my same archetype or is that, I guess that's, I guess you get what you mean. Like the same kind of personality person. type as me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I don't believe that's the case anymore because that would drive me fucking insane if every day, you know, I was trying to achieve this certain goal and then this I don't have any time to even like when I need to to check out for a minute that person's checked in that's tough Mm -hmm. bro then now you're like all misplaced and everything so it's allowed me to kind of understand that seeing that in like my own personal relationship where we have different goals uh same kind of idea like we're all we're on the same board like we know where where everything wants to go but things that we value and things that we appreciate 
it allows you to frame uh, your perspective within others as well and, and appreciate others. And I think that's a huge thing. Like, like how you said you love fighting. Like, fighting to me, it, I, I appreciate fighting. It's a good way to say it. I don't love fighting, but I appreciate it because I know that you love fighting. That's like the best. That's the best way. Like uh, my girlfriend, she loves uh, wanting to be a social media uh, star. Uh, in other words, but uh, I could give a fuck less if I ever had a Facebook profile ever again. Like I deleted my Instagram. Like I could care less. I'll probably reactivate it eventually. But I appreciate that somebody wants something like that. Like I can appreciate your goals, even though that we we might not see eye to eye on some things. I can sit there and I can say. You know, dude, because you have something in mind, I appreciate that. And I might not have seen that as a goal or something originally, um, but now I'm able to. You know what I mean? And I just think that's that's a a huge transformation in my life, especially. I think um, a lot of people like like you and I who have really big goals, um, people who you are hanging out with, your family, your friends – um, they can kind of look at what you're doing as being selfish right. um, when in fact it's a way to live out your goal and you have to make certain, certain sacrifices along the way to carry that out or else the in, you're going to get puddled in with all the influence of everybody else and scatterbrain and scatter uh, – you know, you're going to be moving all over the place. Um, and so these really big influential successful people, I think um, in, in a lot of cases they've lost friends. Uh, they have had to rene- uh, renege on some obligations to their family uh, in in the mid in like the uh, immediate right. to then make it bigger and then come back and in a better position and lead your family out of the situation that they're perpetually stuck in. Right. Um, one of my buddies said something really interesting the other day. Actually, he said um, sometimes you have to. Uh, I, I might get it wrong, but sometimes you have to to leave. Uh, in order to come back stronger. Sometimes you have to disappear in order to come back stronger. And I think that's a really big thing, man, um, that, that separates the people who are going to be very, very successful uh, and, and, and not. Um, in, in, the fi- in the financial sense, whatever sense, um, that is a big thing. You have to disconnect yourself from all of the, the, the modern-day uh, cultural devices, like everything that we're supposed to do, right? We're supposed to go out to the bar. We're supposed to be around friends. Um, those are things we're supposed to do culturally, and you have to break out of that in some sense in order to fulfill a very big goal. Right. Um, and I think I think it's important to keep keep those things in check, but while also not um, while also not uh, you know completely throwing all the re- throwing relationships in the, in the gutter. Ever, you should never do that. Um, right. I'm never gonna like say fuck you, mom, fuck you, dad. I'm I'm never coming back. Like I'm fulfilling my goal kind of thing. But um, sometimes I may need to tune some people out. Right. To focus on myself. Right. Um, there are a lot of, uh, so to kind of unpack that a little bit, as, as I'm starting to get more secure financially and I'm not anywhere near where I really want to be. So, uh, take that with a grain of salt. But as you start to become more secure financially, you start to reevaluate the other key parts of life, health relationships. I mean, I sit there. Um, I, I used to watch, like really consume a lot of content that would social media content rather than YouTube, like a, not TikTok, but like reels, um, videos on YouTube, on Instagram and such. And I'll, I'll never forget this one gentleman, um, multimillionaire, probably worth about 
seventy to hundred million dollars was on making a video or a story of, of some sort and said, I would trade every dollar that I have to have another moment with my grandmother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it it really I mean, dude, that's man. dude that's powerful. That hits me. That makes me go. Am I, I doing all this for nothing? I want to kind of retract what I was yeah, saying yeah. a little earlier because it sounded a little harsh. No, no, I I'm like, on the I, same boat. I'm yeah. literally in the same boat it, as you. Because what you just said, I think if you were to just say that instead of everything I just spewed right. out, that would make a lot more sense and kind of reflect. Because I think, you know, family is, in a lot of cases, it's a lot of things for me. It may not be something for somebody else. But I think relationships are just invaluable, my man. If you have like a – because without this relationship probably, right. you know, we would be lacking a lot of stuff. Without your relationship with Jake, you'd probably be lacking a lot. Right. Lacking something. With, with your dad, you'd probably right. be lacking some things. So. You never want you. Ne- you never want to. Um, I don't know the the word. I'm trying to uh, neglect those relationships. Well, let me hit you with another one. Yep, yeah, n- nuggets, nuggets. Well, <clears throat> well, Steve Jobs couldn't buy his health. That's right. Think about that. You got to work for your health. Dude, I was listening, so um, I'll credit this to Luke Belmar. Um, I was listening to him talk, and he was saying, "We're all trying to achieve." Something like, especially all success addicts, addicts in, in other words, we're all trying to achieve um, whatever your vision of success is. And, and I would say most often that's not health, right? Like you're thinking money, mm-hmm. uh, fame, uh, power, kind of the the three pillars, in other words, of success. Um, why are we not reverse engineering it? In the sense that, why is that every crazy wealthy individual is trying to get super healthy right and i'm not just talking athletes but why is it that they're all going after their health now Mm -hmm. there's a couple different ways that you can look at it i guess i mean does their health deteriorate because of the crazy amounts of stress that they're under in their developing years you know what i mean or are they saying like holy shit this is really the most important thing like you cannot buy your health like you can't do it like you know Steve Jobs died and he had all the money in the world. He died of, uh, what was it, pancreatic cancer? Is that not mind-blowing to you? It is mind-blowing. I was listening to a podcast today, and actually they were were talking about that. Um, They were saying something along the lines of um, people, the the uber-successful, or at least getting to that point, people who are in business, you're going to be faced with stress no matter what. Um, It's the way you react to your stress can literally – regulate your internal system differently so like your your disposition on how you handle your stress affects your health without a doubt like in um there is a uh, uh joe dispenza i believe uh so, something dispenza yeah. I, I think i, I know who you're about. talking about he writes a lot of good books and he, he talks about the inextricable connection between your mind and your body you have to maintain both and your body is inextricably connected with your with your health if you neglect your your body or your, uh, your your mind if you neglect your body your mind's going to falter. And if you don't have the right mindset, you're not going to do the right things physically. Um, and, right. and he talks about how that's that's inextricable. And these people who are going through uh, intense, stressful moments, the guys who say, I have a lot of stress, but yet I'm going to – I'm not destitute. I learn from this. I, I say, okay, I accept it. How can I learn? Those people live longer actually than the people who get crushed by the stress and they and they are always worried about the stress and i i think it's a difference in growth mindset versus scarcity mindset um and 
they're completely two different things. And it, it has such a connection with the longevity of these people. It's unbelievable, man. Um, I want to I want to read some more and actually do some more research on on Dispenza because um, I was listening to his podcast and and he's such an interesting individual, bro. And um, he just really hits the nail every single time he talks about the health and how how the body and the mind are just totally connected. L- let me ask you this: How long do you think you're gonna live? I think I'm gonna live over a hundred years. Okay. Um, I think that if I I literally um, I, right. I think that if I continue to take care of my health like I'm taking care of my health. Um, and I, I have along the way, the right mindset and I cultivate that mindset over time. I do the right things for my body. I eat the right things Then I could definitely live over a hundred years. If you look at the trajectory of, of human longevity, it's increased as the, as both like the, uh, the, the level of life has, has gotten more valuable. Like your living standards are increasing. The population has increased. Uh, people are living longer. Um, of course, that has you know right. influence with medical advancement and things like that. But I really think our generation, the people who take care of themselves, have a high possibility of living ninety to hundred to maybe even more years. Um, definitely, dude. Um, I think I, I and, and hold me to this. I think I'll live to like one twenty-five, one thirty. Like I, I kid you not. And yeah. you know, the response I usually get: Why would you want to live that long? That would suck. Dude, I w- I'm going to be healthy. I'm going to be running marathons at 100 years old, bro. That's what I'm trying to... Like, we have this kind of construct of what age does to you. And that's people taking shit care of themselves. People that... I'm it's so... Like, when I say 120... I'm talking like, I'm going to live the best 120 years of my life. And now this is... Uh, all, uh, the other side of this coin is... Um, I was listening to Ed Milet talk at a conference, and he goes, I know for certain every one of you in here think that you're going to live forever, but you think the guy next to you is going to die. And so allow that to set in a little bit. Like, yeah, I believe, like, God willing, I think I'll live to 120, 130. Uh, with everything I'm doing, I think with the, the medical advancements that, that are to come, um, with the resources I'll have, God willing, I think I'll 121-130. But yeah, man, yeah, that's dude. That would be that would be insane. I, I think that the value of life, um, you know, you, you could the value of life is is definitely defined with finitude, right? Like so, like that your life is going to conclude it one day makes it valuable. Yes, I agree with that. But I but I don't agree that like you, you living eighty years long is more valuable than you living one hundred twenty five years long. Right. I mean, like you you are just maximizing the time that you spend here that you can influence the world. Uh, that's a great thing. Um, if you're a good individual and all, the, the, the people who are mentally, um, more powerful, like we were talking about earlier, will live longer. And I think that's good because you extend your, your influence on the world. Um, so yeah, dude, I, I would live 150 if I could, I would live two right. years if I could, but I wouldn't live forever. I think that I think yeah. that I would definitely cut it. Cause I have some friends who, who want to live forever. Really? They're, like, they're like, yeah, dude, I would live like eternal. Like I'm like, no, right. bro. I have some buddies who are like, I want to upload my mind to uh, what is it? Yeah, uh, fucking uh, internet or uh, neural something. Neuralink. That's Neuralink. it. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. no, I I agree with you. I think that you know you got to die at some point. Mm-hmm. But to take that a step back, you know, I think I'll. I really think one twenty five, one thirty, with everything that I'm doing now, with uh, is, is very possible. But that when Ed Milet said that, and and I'm gonna botch the story that he he was given. He's talking about this very um, up and coming comedian. Right. And 
uh, he invites him onto his podcast, and this guy is just crushing, like the funniest dude. Him and Ed Milet are just kicking it off uh, and having a blast. So, so they end the podcast, and they're like, dude, how have we not like been in each other's lives longer? Like we relate on so many things. And I mean, this is dude's a multimillionaire connect. Like I think he's a billionaire now. Uh, it's connecting with his dudes, making like a million bucks a year, and they're like best friends. And like, and you would think that they wouldn't be able to relate to anything, and they're like relating on yeah. every single level. And essentially, it ends where Ed Milet and and the gentleman I can't remember his name, uh, they end up like making a bunch of plans to do like, hey, we're gonna do a follow up podcast. I'm gonna come visit you. Like, dude, we gotta get our families together. And like, I did not know that we we relate this well. And have such a great time together. And like thinking about that, dude, celebrities don't do that very often. You know what I mean? They're like, all right, this guy's trying to social climb me. This guy's trying to do this. Like, this guy kind of sucks. But I mean, they hit it off that much um, to the point where Ed Milet releases the the podcast. This guy's career just starts blowing up, and he's like praising Ed Milet, saying like, dude, Ed, like you've changed my whole life, and so forth. And they hop on like a, a I think it was an instagram live where you like uh, both can hop on and they're talking they're like yeah man can't wait to come visit you they hop off to a private facetime um talking about like trying to fixate the get their plans right he dies 15 minutes later that fucking oh, guy God, dies man. dude Boys. it was like and he's wait, telling wait, who, 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 uh, uh, the comedian the comedian, the comedian died. died 15 oh, minutes later what? just like natural as hell like something with and i'll say natural um I think it had to do with his heart just like totally gave out. Oh my gosh. Dude. Yeah. Was, imagine that. that. Dude, like you a, hang up. Uh, you, that hit me like a semi truck. You're thinking, man, they're making all these plans. Oh you know, God, this man. is going to be crazy. Uh, and I just remember sitting there. I was like, what the what? fuck just happened? And he's <clears> like, <throat> that's how soon you can die. Dude. And he said, I would, I, I can't tell you how excited I was to get together with this guy and like to get our families together. And we're literally talking, uh, uh, and I think the exact time was like 27 minutes. But imagine, like, think about this. We finish this podcast, uh, and I don't fucking wake up the next morning. Is that not crazy That's to you, wild, bro? Dude. But you don't ever put yourself in that position. Like, I'm only yeah. thinking, you know, mm. Ethan won't, won't wake up tomorrow. Like, I'll, I'll wake up tomorrow. Like, you know, that would never happen to me. Dude, shit like that, that happens. And when you start living... With with that in mind, I swear to you, you will uh, you will decrease your social media use. You will start living with intention in everything that you do, and man, your life will drastically improve. And I'm I I hardly waste uh, time on shit I don't enjoy now. Like if I'm wasting time, I'm playing chess this week. Uh, if I'm wasting time, I'm with like my best buds. It it's not wasting time in my book anymore it's like i hate just mind like aimlessly doing shit that has no reason to be in my life like you are starting to value every every second of your life and to um to kind of go off of this i had a i had a dream the other day that kind of fucked me up a little bit Hmm. i was sitting there and it had me thinking a lot about death and my whole life i kind of was like you know uh, especially growing up as, as an, not growing up as an atheist, but uh, finding myself to really resonate with atheism prior to to my my rebirth with uh, Christianity, I was never really afraid of death. I was like, all right, this is what's going to happen. You can live a, a much more fruitful life if you're atheist because you're not bound to anything. You can operate in your way. There's not anything kind of held over your head. 
and I was thinking a lot of, uh, and this doesn't really relate to religion, but you know, there will be a day when you're the oldest person in your family, God willing. Hmm. Like one day you will be the oldest person in your entire family. Is that not crazy as shit to think of? Like your grandfather, your great-grandfather, they were once a child. They were once our age. They were literally once our age. Try and like fast forward that many years and think of yourself as an 85, in my case, 125-year-old man Mm -hmm. sitting there and going, I lived 125 years. Or I lived this much life. Like, dude, sometimes I think my brain can't even hit. Like, you can't cannot comprehend, comprehend stuff like that. It's no. crazy. And it's, I think you said something a little while ago that struck with me, that you are constantly thinking about other people in that scenario, um, but you rarely think about yourself in right. that scenario. I, th- I think th- I haven't never heard it on that angle before, um, and it's so true because it doesn't have the same emotional pungency. Um, when you're thinking about a family member that you love – that is in your life, that is that has influenced you, that is around you all the time, just disappearing one day. And and that has a really strong emotional response. Uh, me, I, I have never sat back and thought about, you know, well, I have, but like uh, to the point where I'm emotionally disturbed thinking about myself dying tomorrow. Right. And and that, that, really, that really struck with me. And so it's it, it makes you kind of – it definitely makes you value your life a lot more when you when you think about that. And I think that is the, the part of the, the finitude. That's, that is the good thing, that you know there's there's a, a tag. There, you know there's an expiration date. Uh, you know that one day you will be as old as your granddad is right now. Um, so what are you going to do between here and now? Like how are you going to – how are you going to do what you set out to do? Um, you said a little while ago that a, a lot of people – don't have goals, and I, I do want to do a little bit of a well, not, not don't have goals, don't really understand goals, and I, I do agree with that um, because some people will say they have goals, and then and then you ask them to break it down, and it's hard for them to do so. Um, but I wanted to ask you a question, um, yeah, just about with social media and the current climate and stuff like that, uh, with relating to men, uh, what is like the hardest challenge situation that's facing men right now, like um, Dude, just in a general sense? I think, uh, quite honestly. Guys are too caught up with, like, getting laid. Yeah. Like, oh, I, like, I swear to you, nobody cares about themselves anymore. They, like, are basing way too much of their, their personal value on the, and, and it does have, like, um, there is, there is substance to that, right? Like, men's value, in other words, is kind of created by the, the kind of woman that you can uh, attract, right? Um, that's how we've been our entire lives, like mating. But uh, for a lot of a lot of you dudes struggling, um, that that attraction comes from you uh, not really giving a fuck, and you busting your ass and like dominating your life. You know what I mean? And then 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 you'll create that life that you want. But I mean, dude, I swear to God. Every, it's always like, yo, check this check out. Yo, oh, should I slide? And I'm like, hey, man, did you see this podcast? <laughs> that's, that's me. I'm like, hey, did, did you see this? Like, you need to see this quote. Do you need I'm to see this? Way, like, mm. I just, I never understood kind of the, the obsession with like trying to do that over trying to develop yourself. Because I always felt like, my, I guess a credit to my uncle when I was kind of young. Uh, my uncle Mike, I'll say this, he said, 
every girl that, that you date when you're young, she'll probably leave you for an older guy who's more developed in his life. Because he's got more shit going on. You will not, not have jack shit when you're when you're uh, in your mid twenties. Like you are the le- you're your nothing in your life when you're in your low tw- like your mid twenties. You become something, and it attracts the people that you want that you want. And I think that guys are kind of like trying to artificially create the uh, what would you call it the power and the um, the status. By having, like, a beautiful large woman around them all the time. Yeah, and having, like, a large body count. And it's, like, so meaningless, dude. I swear to God. Like, yeah. Yeah. any time that I've just not really cared has always been, like, the I've had the most luck with women. Mm-hmm. It's when I just am, like, totally focused on myself. Because they see a dude that's so in his, in his lane. That's, like, wanting to achieve a lot of things. And they want to hop on the, the, the Jeff Bezos in the garage while he's building up Amazon. Right. You know, like some, some people can really see that in an, in, in an individual. So that, so that is what you think is the biggest thing facing men right now. Yeah, um, I and, think, and, and under underneath that, there's definitely some things underneath that. Yeah, I saw um, – well, well, just to kind of roll off of that really quick, there's a quote, and I forget who it's from, and it's – I want to say it's from a, a European emperor. Maybe it, it might be um, – not maybe not European. Uh, it, anyway, it was like you want to destroy a nation is like allow uh, the uh, circulation of like female nudity to like like rise because it would just corrupt the um, minds of young men, and that's kind of exactly what's going that's on exactly right now. What's like right literally, now. literally and it, dude. it affects everybody. Like <clears throat> it affects everybody, and um, it's such a rampant issue. Um, and I think that has caused men to be weaker today. Right. Um, is is because they're constantly distracted away from what they they know they should do because they have a a thousand beautiful women in front of you. Um, and dude, you you just nailed it. You honestly nailed it. Um, you said that was from a from an emperor. At one I want to say, I wa- or that's, maybe that's it was some... like a general or somebody. Okay. I want to say that it was definitely somebody that was Muslim. Uh, I'm almost certain of that. And I know that there's like uh, uh, a lot of people have. Uh, their opinions on especially with all the attention that that uh, that religion and that kind of culture is uh, getting at the moment um but dude there's a lot of fucking truth to that there's i mean i'm not afraid to say it the shit that's going on with chicks like posting their bodies and stuff and some dudes might say i'm controlling some women might say that i'm uh like that my girl should do whatever she wants Mm -mm. i'm like cut that shit out uh, like that's not good one for your self-esteem because you're placing the value of like likes and stuff and people like liking what you look like um you're placing your self-esteem on that i was watching on that i was watching a podcast dude that sorry i don't want to no, you're good um i was watching a podcast and they went around a room um and they had a bunch of like in instagram influencers uh um it was, there was two guys and about uh eight or nine women um and they just went around the room and they said what do you prioritize more Instagram or a long-term relationship with a man? Every single one of them said Instagram. I heard of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Every I did hear about this. Every single one of them this. said Instagram. Um, and people are brainwashed yeah. by, by as, as Tate says, the uh-huh. Matrix. I completely agree with that, dude. Yeah. I, we are 100% on the same wavelength with the Matrix is making people – as in the Matrix is an artificially created system. Um, and we're all subject to this system. The system wants to keep us poor, inept, stupid, uh, not standing up. They want to keep men weak because when you have weak men, 
uh, you don't have a strong society. You have a collapsing, failing society. And that is yeah. 100 – if you look at the historical record, that has happened countless times. Every time you've had a weak male populace, there has been nobody to stand up to the powers that be that are subjugating everybody else. And I think that's the biggest thing today, bro, is like um, is just men not having the strength that the men before us had. Uh, in, in a general sense, it's like for everybody when you talk about per capita, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's, it's wild that where their priorities are. Um, I find it crazy that they would rather have a thousand likes on their booty on Instagram than to have a genuine relationship where they could build a family with a man. Yeah, I, and that's have, not that's not generalizing all women, but the, but especially the the Instagram influencer type. Have you ever seen the movie uh, Unbroken? I think uh, we were talking uh, about this the, the other wait. day. Explain that to me because that's the Olympic, uh, the yeah. Olympic athlete. Yeah, yeah. Dude. Oh, the guy who gets captured. Yeah, yeah. Dude, I saw that movie recently, probably like two Phenomenal weeks ago. Movie. That I I finished that movie and I go, man, I'm a pussy. I'm like the biggest pussy. This dude went through all that shit. And I, I swear to you, I sat there, I was like, we have it so damn easy. I could never imagine being captured. Like, one, being out at sea, stranded for 47, 50 days. Like, practically having to eat your eat your boy that's decomposing, like, to stay alive. Right, like, right. the craziest shit I've ever seen. I'm thinking, man, this is a great movie. I wonder if it ends here, like, that he just survived this. Nope. Gets captured by, by the Japs. Gets the shit beat out of him every single like waking minute they're just beat up yeah thrown in these uh uh these camps essentially and somehow like i'm just i don't know how much truth there is to it because obviously it's dramatized and it's a movie but dude imagine holding uh uh you know more about um like lumber and shit like that that dude held that thing looked like 100 pounds, 100 pounds. i was about to say and that. it's Huge like log and he's like a frail weak dude and he's like holding that thing up for a good bit of time and i'm he just carried thinking, that shit yeah and i'm just thinking to myself i would have said fuck this throwing it on the ground and let him just blast me in the face with the rifle and said put me out of my misery and like that the, these guys just saw so much more like it's incredible bro do you think it's because they valued life more back then I think that they understood their responsibility more. They under, and they like sense of duty. Yeah, absolutely. Sense like they duty. knew they had a uh, bro. That may be it. That yeah, may, that may be the biggest issue facing society today is a lack of duty. It's like yeah, lack of sense responsibility, of yeah. and it's it's disgusting. I mean, I yeah. see it online. Um, hmm. Everybody wants to be a, a fucking gamer, YouTuber, um, streamer, and yeah, I'll say sure. There's nothing wrong with that, but dude. Not everybody can like, do that. Yeah, not even that, but like work hard at something and like work hard at something. Uh if you if you do that, you'll you'll become a man. Mm-hmm. And I mean I'm still on my journey of becoming the man that I want to be. I'm definitely not there yet. But I mean you look nowadays and I'm I'm on Twitter more than I've ever been. Uh, due to Elon Musk buying it, I love it. I love <laughs> Me every too. second. I was not on Twitter for a second until Dude, he bought it. It's so awesome. I now. love it. It's, it's a, like it's, people are just getting chirped again. Like I love it. Yo, bullying is bad, <laughs> but I mean, there are some people that need their shit shoved back in it, their face. It has its place. Yo, like some as people are just so out of guys. pocket. Don't don't quote me. Yeah, but uh, and it's not bu- like. This is bullying the bully back, in my right. opinion. Like, the person that just thought that they would get away with all this shit, and now it's finally, like, shoving their shit back in their face. Like, all right, we're back to reality, guys. There are just so many people. Like, have you ever seen that H3 podcast? H3? Yeah, it might be H3. H3, I, I haven't, I don't think I've seen that. This is this dweeby dude. 
on there that is just shitting on every de- like self development thing that you could possibly oh do as a man. Like, you, what's the fucking purpose of going to the gym? Like, uh, like what? You want to look fit? I'm like, what the hell is this guy talking about? It's doing something hard and doing something like, you know, if you can, you need to try other things that are hard. So, for maybe some of the most hardened guys out there, maybe a thing is like being having a little bit more social appetite where you can be more vulnerable. That might be something that's hard. Getting but these other these guys these other guys won't challenge the, the that side. They'll be like, "Oh yeah, you know, I'm do, I'm doing something great. I'm on the computer all day. Got a great podcast. This is what I'm going to do." So I just laid laid that groundwork there where the most hardened guys maybe that their challenge is to be more vulnerable. But they'll fuck those guys will like shit on going to the gym and shit on working hard and shit on trying to make a lot of money and shit on everything that's produced good in this world. Yeah. Um, it makes I, no sense. I think a lot of people have too much time on their hands. Um and they have this sense of like insecurity deep down, uh, to where they want they innately want what this guy has. Uh, they want to look good. They who doesn't want to look good and feel good? If you if you say you don't want to look good and you don't want to feel good, then you're fucking lying to yourself and you're lying to everybody around you because that's that you want to look good. Yeah. Um, and and people they say I want what this guy has. I want his money. I want his power. I want his fame. And it, deep down, that is intrinsically encoded into us. And so it's this drive, this primal innate drive to want that. And and now you have too much time on your hands. You're too weak to go out there and make the take the steps to actually get to where this guy is because you don't have the fortitude. Instead of disciplining yourself, going through struggle, you're going to shit on somebody else. That that's what these people want to do, man. And it's it's sad because these people now have such an amplified voice. They have such an amplified voice. It's like and they're they're just retweeted and everybody's just like taking a sound bite and pushing it out and saying, "Yeah, this guy's speaking facts. He's speaking facts. He's a social justice warrior." It's it's um I can get really deep into this, but I I hate how people conflate the idea that, you know, I can, I I can appreciate the things that you value in life uh, with the idea that you can't outright say that you're better uh, at something than someone. Yeah. Right. Uh, Like I'm more successful than you. Well, if we define success as if, uh, as people would define it, like happier, have more money. Enjoy life more. I would say that's a pretty good definition of success, you know, using those three things. And if I say, I'm more successful than you. Oh, all of a sudden, people will say, oh, well, no, it's because I, I actually value being a low-life piece of shit. People can <laughs> you know, value anything. You know what I mean? Things. Like, to people, it's really, they'll conflate that idea of, and I hope I'm using the right word. I'm trying to use conflate, big, no, big, uh, like big SAT words here. Conflate. Yeah. While you do that, I'm going to look this up on yeah. YouTube because I'm curious. I think it means to enlarge. And so I, I notice people will always use that excuse when I say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, you can outright say that you're better than somebody. Oh, no, you're right. You're right. Like, hey, I am better than you because I also deserve, like, because I bust my ass to be, right? And people will always just shun that idea that you can be uh, better than somebody. But the idea that somebody is better than you at somebody, that something that you want to be good at is also that core motivation. It should motivate you. You should want to because we are in a society if we, we dial it back to women. I mean they rightfully want to be with the best dude. I don't fucking blame them. I want to be with the best woman. Mm-hmm. Hey, 
that's totally okay with me that we it's, both want the best. But it's, it's funny that we have to like kind of apologize for believing that nowadays. Yo, I until sw- like until like ten years ago, that was that was the way. That was the status quo. But now because of social media and all that shit, you you have the most the stupidest, weakest ideas being promoted and uh and, and everybody's seeing it now. My, and I'm, it's a part of the matrix, you know, they're they're trying to purvey that message on us because they want us to be weak, bro. Like they they want us to be like they don't want you to be rich, CJ. Yeah. They, they they want you to be broke and inept and just a cog in the a cog in the system. My the the biggest thing that I always see is this, if we talk about like body shaming and uh, somebody's image uh, and weight especially. You want to know how I know that being grossly overweight is not as uh, great as everybody's trying to make it to be. Like oh, you can be your, your own person. I well, and this is also just using anecdotal evidence, but everybody I know that was grossly overweight has lost a shitload of weight, and man, they're so much happier. I can I can name four people that I know that were like clinically obese, like very heavy. Yeah. That dude, when I saw them in person again, I was like, holy shit, you look fabulous! Like yo, you look fantastic. And they haven't you, heard that in years. Yo, and you know that was the elephant in the room their entire life. Right. And now think of now they're on top of the moon. Now they they have that little they bit more that. motivation. You think it was helpful to them to comfort them when they were overweight? Oh, that's just like that's like uh putting uh putting a band aid on the problem, right? Like, oh we'll make you feel good now until you get the herd. Like, oh it's okay feeling the way that you do. I swear the smile on those people's faces when, when, and I want to, because I know people are going to confuse when I say acknowledge the hard work that they put in and valuing my opinion too much, like somebody else valuing another person's opinion, but that's human nature, right? Like you, you want your success to be seen. And I don't understand how people can sit there and say that, you know, you, yeah, you look beautiful being 380, 400 pounds. Dude, when I, I kid you not, when I saw some of the people um, that were clinically obese that were close to my family, they look so damn good now, it's not even funny. Like, they're unrecognizable. When I saw some of, the, I, I saw some of these people uh, when, when I came back from school that were close to my family, and it was... Like, I didn't recognize them. It was like they literally changed every. Like, dude, they were happier. They legitimately, these folks were glowing. And, man, they and guess what they start doing? They start promoting good health to other people. They start sitting there and saying that. But, you know, we might have to make a part two for this because uh, my girlfriend's tire popped on my curb. Oh, oh real quick. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oops. Well, let's uh, let's wrap this up. I think we've been going for a while. Yeah, dude. Like, when do we, we start? Like, and I could keep going. We can go all night. Yeah. Uh, yeah, let's do a part two of this. Let, let's let's do this a lot more often. I have uh, two more podcasts this week that I'm doing. Yeah. Um, but, uh, dude, this was awesome. This is totally better than I expected. I knew it was going to be great. Don't get me wrong. I knew that it was going to be great, but it was just like 10 times better. Uh, you blew away my expectations as usual. Uh, and I really hope you guys liked it. Um, we will be hopping on the podcast again, me and CJ and, uh, CJ and I, I should say. So, uh, can I plug one thing? Plug one thing. I just want to say, well, when I was starting out in the wholesaling space, uh, everybody's going to be trying to sell you shit. Like everybody's going to be trying to sell you a course. Everybody's going to be trying to, to kind of get you to jump on their wagon. 
I'll say anybody that ever wants to know anything and how to do it, I will teach you for fucking free. And I tell everybody that, and I hardly have somebody take me up on it. But I will always show everything I know, no strings attached. That is the bet that I learned from somebody else for free. I owe it to pass it forward and keep the chain going. So, hell, if you want... You can hit me up at uh, I don't have any social media. Find me on Facebook. We, we, will, uh, yeah. we will plug you somehow yeah. in the uh, in I the just want people to know that you know, try as hard as you can not to pay somebody because that information is out there for free. That's right. And you should be allowed to learn shit for free without gate like people gatekeeping certain pieces of information. I hated that. That was right. like I was so against that my whole life. And, and I just want people to know that like yo, if you're trying to get a good start Shit, I'll even just point you in the right direction, tell you where to get all the information for free, and we can never talk again, and I'm fine with that. You right. know what I mean? Like, I just want I want people to know that. That's a good man right there. That's a good man. All right, we're going to wrap this one up, guys. As always, stay intrigued. See you next time.